Uh, Greg's finishing up his meal, and we are going to get started on... <laughs> we have to talk about the pandemic. Um, obviously, we kind of talked about it our personal lives, but let's kind of talk about uh, bigger you know, bigger things, Obviously, the stuff that we talk about on the podcast and how the pandemic is going to affect that. Perhaps there are some silver linings for things at large that we didn't... Uh, that we didn't discuss when we did our little opening uh, segment here. So um, I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with um, Domino's himself, Greg Cherry, and <laughs> it was I, a oven pizza. Thank you. Oh, okay. His, uh, um, much much classier than much, Domino's. By yeah, the way. much classier. Uh, it was seven ninety nine <laughs> instead of six ninety nine. Um, but when we talk about when we talk about like a, a lasting impact, um, and by the way, I'm going to you. I want you to go ahead and just start wherever you want a lasting impact that you think is going to happen and it, it, that this pandemic is going to have on, and here are the categories real quick for you, society, entertainment, sports, and then business. I'm very curious, just curious about that. So, Cherry, wherever you want to start, mm. wherever you want to kick us off his, here, go for it. business time. Yeah, so I'm going to kind of, uh, these two kind of run into each other, the society and entertainment one, so okay. hope, you, hope you don't mind that. That's if fine. It, you know, a little twofer. Um, but first, you know, society, of course, obviously how we interact with one another. I mean, at the grocery store, for instance, you know, you can't, walk five feet next to somebody without them, you know, trying to steer their cart away from you. Um, Dennis, that was just normal for him before the pandemic, so that's fine. But, um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, Dennis, sorry. But <laughs> no, you're, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I, still a roast, I always apologize right after. But, um, <laughs> no, but I mean, obviously, society, you know, how we interact with one another. For instance, like when I got done with the comedy show back in like June, it was like right when things were trying to open up again in Colorado. And uh, people are trying to come up to me and shake my hand after. I'm like, I didn't want to touch your hand before COVID. Why would I want to do it now? Um, you know, so giving each other, you know, like quick, like elbow tap or air high five or what have you. Um, <laughs> there must be a lot more conscientious of our space and how we take it up around each other mm-hmm. and how close we get to people, um, you know, that we don't really know on a day to day. And that's also in hand to hand going to affect entertainment because um, of the fact, you know, that you don't want to sit closely next to people in a packed audience or a crowd. Even when people do have the vaccine, I don't think it's going to be mandatory. I don't see a world where, you know, we're going to make a mandatory in the U S maybe who knows, but probably not. And so, you know, you might be sitting next to somebody who isn't vaccinated and you are, but you know, what is the implications of that? So we're definitely going to have a lot of adjustments moving forward. And I don't think we're ever going to quite get back to our new normal, if you will. Um, well, I mean the old normal, we're going to definitely have a new normal moving forward, but it's going to look very different. Any thoughts there, gentlemen? Is, is is Adam muted again? Yeah, he is. So, Dennis, you just go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Even it, with watching, you know, shows or movies and things um, from a couple of years ago, you, I have these kind of weird reactions and you notice the closeness of everybody. And there's some things where you're like, oh, why did I have to be that close to someone's face to say something to them? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Jesus, right. why Why did we ever do that? Uh, I, I think that's going to be um, an interesting transition. I think eventually... You know, over a couple of years, um, some, you know, the things that we're doing now are probably going to start to eventually fade and we're going to relax a little more and, and become more comfortable. Um, I think staying with, with entertainment, I think the way that entertainment will be 
Um, what do I want to kind of say? The way it's delivered to us. Yeah. The way films and movies are going to be released. And we've already seen that happening over a couple of years. But I think it's going to be pretty permanent moving forward. Mm-hmm. That movies are going to be released in the theater. So if you want that experience, awesome. Go for it. But they're also going to be released at home. So you want if you want it on Netflix, if you want it on you know Apple TV or, or wherever, it's going to be available there too. Basically at the same at the same time. There's going to be a consequence uh, to, to some of the, the content. And I've already noticed it, especially now around Christmas time. Apple TV bought up a pretty significant library of, you know, the classic Christmas stuff that we grew up on and, and the holiday stuff. They bought up like um, Charlie Brown and the, and the pumpkin patch and Charlie Brown Christmas. Yeah. They bought up these stuff. And people immediately rejected that idea. The idea that some streaming service is going to make, you know, and maybe it's just the nostalgia stuff because we've all grown up on it and people have grown up on, on the stuff since, you know, Rudolph the Reynolds Reindeer, since the 60s and 70s. And taking that away, people did not like. <laughs> and, and so I think there's got to be a recognition of of where the line is when it comes to making things exclusive and how stuff gets released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Because isn't HBO doing like a bunch of like um, uh, releases on HBO Max right now as well as theaters at the same time? So Yep. Definitely. Okay, so yes. So that's going to, like Wonder Woman, I think is going to be the first of this where they're going to do it. Uh, like, I think Wonder Woman is going to come out in certain theater. It's so, like, here in California, the movie theater thing and being that this is Hollywood, it is so different from everywhere else. Like, in Los Angeles County, like, we haven't been able to set foot in the theater in since this whole pandemic started. So mm-hmm. I'm safely assuming that the Cinemark in Macedonia is probably going to have Wonder Woman on Christmas Day, and we're also going to be getting it on HBO Max. So you're right, that that trend is going to um, you, we're going to be seeing a, more of that, I, I do believe. And just like going back to like number one, uh, Greg, totally agree with what you're saying about like this slow, you know, maybe slow burn to a return to the older version of normalcy if we ever do it. And the idea of just going into the movies and if there is a vaccine, if the person has it and they're they're sitting next to you, if they don't have the vaccine, it enters into a whole new dynamic. And I don't necessarily believe we're going to be doing the whole vaccination mandate anytime soon. So the way that we experience entertainment, and this is going into what Dennis was talking about, about just it being more into the home and stuff. These are things that I think we're going to be having to expect coming up in the future. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're, you guys are, you guys are dead on. I think, I, I mean, I, I'm just going to go ahead and, and kind of extend this, this idea about like the, the way entertainment's delivered to us. I think it's even going to be, it's even going to come down to, to studios, individual decisions on individual movies that it's probably going to be worth worth their time to like a, a mid-budget 40 million dollar movie that you know it's not an action movie it's some kind of drama with some with some, maybe you know it doesn't have a big headline actor why spend the distribution money on that 
when you can just cut a deal with HBO Max to get it out quickly. Right. Um, there's yeah. going to be a lot of these. You maybe maybe that benefits us. Uh, you know, the people who might might not have seen certain movies otherwise. Um, but you know, if they're getting pushed in our face right away, why not check them out? But I think there's going to be a ton of movies that are <clears throat> that aren't either like your big tentpole two hundred million dollar James Cameron action movies. That aren't your Oscar bait, you know. We have we have Kate Blanchett and Meryl Streep in the same movie. Like it, this is this is Oscar Oscar and Emmy contenders left and right, and People's Choice left and right. Um, if it's not one of those types of movies, it's just going to be available online. And I, I really do think that the pandemic hastened a model that we're we're already going towards anyway, um, where basically TV is going to be indistinguishable from movies, and it's just going to be exacerbated that much more. But it just happened to come probably five to ten years ahead of schedule yeah mm. yeah that really the pandemic did really kick things into high gear and yet what you're going at with the um the type of movies that see the theater releases and stuff i i'm agreeing with what you're you're saying here as far as like just seeing potentially what this could mean in the future and you're right like the, the big budget the superhero movies, like even the tenants of the world, like even Christopher Nolan is going to be totally lobbying for people to go to the theater because I know he's a big theater guy. Right. But um, there are there are going to be this like certain echelon of movies that are going to be guaranteed a theater release like every single time. And then you're probably looking at those like almost kind of like off kilter, quirky kind of indie movies that sort would end up being nominated for like best original screenplay or something like that those would be the type of movies that like guaranteed are going to be released on HBO max. And then if they start to gain some type of traction towards an Academy award nomination, maybe it gets released in the theater right. around a right. time right. or something. Like right. That. I, right. And that clip happens all the time. I mean, you know, things have come out in, in March when it's kind of off season and then all of a sudden it's, it's getting, you know, huge award buzz, golden gloves and Oscars. And then all of a sudden it's back out in December. Right. Right. That's exactly kind of right. Pick up off and, the momentum. I don't know where we're, you know, I'm trying to keep things quick, quicker here, but my bad. But I have to ask this question to Adam specifically because he's been more in the industry than us for sure. Um, but do you all think that this is going to kind of change the way that movies are shot for, for you know, like straight to TV? Like, for instance, I saw 1917 in theaters. That was an amazing experience. It's on TV now on HBO. I'm not really interested in watching it here at home, you know? Yeah. So that right there. That is going to be something that I think it's it's basically like that is like a personal preference. And I think that for movies like 19, it's great that it's on HBO because I really want to see that. And that is one that I did not get the opportunity to to go to the theater to see. Mm. And at some point in time, like it's almost going to meet like a checklist or a certain criteria as to what actually gets the theatrical release. And something like that, like the way that they the way that they shoot it, the way that they present it, like all of this stuff is going to change. And this could even be less extras and you're just CGIing more people in or something like that. As far as like production goes, they'll just being less people on staff. And even when it comes to the way that these movies are going to be released in the future, like, I, I mean, it's just a matter of like how much the money costs, how much money that they're looking to make back. So there's a lot of different variables that are going to be a determination and factor into the way that um, movies are released and the way we see it in the future. And it'd be a really dumb idea to just release a movie like 1917 on HBO Max. Like those type of movies are built and made for the theater. Mm -hmm. 
Good insight. <laughs> Thanks, Thank you very much. Yeah. It's good it's, good I, insight from, from yeah, Greg. No, I, As he stirs no, some I, sort of cup of ice. What no, I was you... sorry, I was drinking some Telemore Dude twelve year also not sponsored. But <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys can you guys get quit quit giving free advertising to people that don't need any amount of sorry. free advertising? Sorry, sorry. I don't like I can't care, but yeah. Between between all the alcohol and Burger King and fast food we've talked about tonight, I mean, we've literally endorsed like my twenties right then and there. Between uh, all it's, right? it's like it's like that. Uh, it's like in Wayne's World too, where they where they have like the little <laughs> section where they're just showing all the products that they use. Right, yep. Doritos. That's right. Yep. Pizza Hut. And... But for me, the yeah. beast doesn't include selling out. <laughs> We get some coupons or something at least, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. I'll I'll see what I'll see what's in the budget. Two for uh, one deals. Denny, uh, Denny, I'll go to you. I'll, I'll pivot to you. Just uh, you know, from all the, I mean, I don't know, just from all those little categories right there. Go ahead and throw something out for me. Oh my God! From all, all the all the categories, thanks. All of them that exist. <laughs> um, you know, in terms of something that will ultimately benefit um as we kind of come out of this save save that one save that one but from business sports entertainment society okay i guess i'm gonna save it (laughs) um no (laughs) um even even the way that sports are being um delivered to us and and again this has been this has probably been happening longer um, than than television and, and movies, but the overall at home experience that you can get watching the NCAA tournament or watching football or, or watching just about anything is getting better and better almost every season. So I think teams are going to have to continue to be creative in in ways that will draw us to a venue mm-hmm. they're gonna have to keep up they're gonna have and, and it's not gonna be you know just oh well we got a a big jumbotron or something i mean that's cool and my god what the la rams did with their stadium is just insane yeah but they're gonna have to make mm-hmm. the stadiums destination <laughs> spots like that are almost, you know, kind of secondary to the game itself. I want to go to the Rams stadium. I don't even care about the Rams. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's football and it'd be cool to go to a game, but the experience of being in that stadium is mm-hmm. why I would go. And they're going to have to keep upping that game, upping that, you know, design of stadiums and, and the entertainment stuff. Um, I, this is a Dennis. You're, this is a really good point that you're hitting on. That I don't know if you're aware of this. The last groupings of stadiums across almost all sports, but especially football and baseball, the last groupings of stadiums that have that have been built have moved farther and farther away from their downtown areas. When that was the that wasn't the trend in our first stadium boom was to move yeah. everything into the city um, because they want to make these things like multi-use um, destinations. And you you can't like build new retail space in the middle of Cleveland or Dallas or Baltimore. You have to build it outside the <laughs> right. city. Right. Right. Yeah. No, dude, you're hitting right on the head with that. And the the Ram Stadium in particular, which I'm 
hopefully looking to attend next year when I see the Chargers play the Browns. My one buddy's thinking about coming out here. And what they're going to do with that property, I mean, when it's all said and done, there'll be the Forum, the new Clippers Arena, the Rams Mm. Stadium, retail, bars, restaurants, like all in just this one pocket of Inglewood, California that never used to have this kind of stuff. And this is like you had no room to do this in, in downtown L.A. I mean, they barely had enough room to, to do this uh, right now. So it's just um, it's just the way of the, the future is to turn these things into all year round, you know, multi-use properties. And I think New England, if I'm not mistaken, has got like not just the stadium on the property. There's like a almost like a museum and a yeah. restaurant and some yep. kind mm-hmm. of entertainment facility and stuff up there. So as the trend in new football stadiums seems to be going outside the city we're going to be seeing a lot more just like crazy ass shit dude it'll be like (laughs) uh, you pull into the right you go to see a Bengals game you make a left and you're in an amusement park you know something like that (laughs) right (laughs) no you're absolutely right except for that Bengals game is probably not going to be in Cincinnati in the future just throwing that out there yeah yeah, it'll be up by Kings Island in Mason, Ohio. That's exactly what, yeah, exactly right. Oh, right. no, I mean, it won't be in Ohio. It won't be in Ohio anymore. The Bengals will be somewhere else fucking entirely. Their own island in Lake Erie. That's right. right. Somewhere out there. That's just like this is super unique. It'll be like Dubai or something. That's, that'd be yeah, awesome. That's How, man, I know, that'd be man-made awesome. Man-made lake or man-made island. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I'll stick with sports here. I'll just obviously piggyback off here, Dennis. So you brought up the stadium thing. That's that's, you're dead on. You're you're so right about like because you just, dude. I really don't like going to Browns games that much. Um, it's a fucking hassle. It like, I'm one of the few people that doesn't get violently drunk because I have to drive myself <laughs> back. Um, so like I'm not enjoying it that way. Um, I'd rather watch it at home. I don't know if you thought about this though, Dennis. And this was this happened a couple weeks ago. Um. When Major League Baseball formally cut, I think, 40 teams out of their minor league system. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is, it, it, baseball is just our best example of this. But obviously there's other minor leagues uh, in various sports around the country that are folding left and right because of this pandemic. And while for the most part, you know, like just think, just sticking with baseball here, because again, this is our best example. For the most part, 90% of people don't ever make it to the major leagues. That's the 10% of anyone who's ever played professional baseball at any level gets a taste of the major leagues. However, when you begin eliminating upwards of 40 teams, that's 800 jobs, 900 jobs actually, that are 900 opportunities that are gone for anyone to potentially make it up. And like you hear stories about like independent, there's plenty of players have gone down to independent leagues and other, other kind of like, you know, leagues that aren't even traditional leagues and have kind of made comebacks there or remade themselves and eventually caught onto the minor leagues and eventually got back up to the major leagues. Sure. Um, so this, those things happen. But now, again, you're going to have 900 fewer opportunities for that to happen. Um, and it's not just for players. We're talking coaches, um, team employees that maybe in the past, you know, you, you maybe you have someone that starts in the front office of a single-A team and 15 years later they're working at the front office for the Indians. Those opportunities are going to be gone. Um, and it's, it's, again, it's baseball is the biggest example, but there are minor league, there are minor league hockey teams. There are minor league basketball teams, uh, outside of the G league. Of course, there are minor league football teams, semi-pro football. There's a minor, there's the XFL folded, um, and had to be, yeah. repur- had to be purchased, you know, sold and then repurchased by the rock, uh, recently. So there's a lot of, 
a lot of these like minor leagues and, and lesser and lesser leagues, I guess, I don't, I don't independent leagues and things like that are folding and they're cutting off a lot of opportunities for people that for athletes who might've had a chance to make it in their sport, they're not even going to get the chance now. Yeah. It's like what we had talked about. Um, we had actually talked about a similar kind of notion with the Houston Astros totally screwing like, you know, these players that maybe just had their one shot at the pitcher's mound or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, like this, this pandemic is unfortunately taking a lot of opportunities from a lot of athletes and baseball in particular with this farm system and like the elaborate kind of setup and the A and double A and triple A and everything. When these types of avenues get cut, you're basically like, just, you know, cutting off an outlet for athletes to make something of themselves as if it's not hard enough to make it as a professional athlete to begin with mm-hmm. now t- to have your, one of your roads just basically be blocked off and shut down. This creates a lot of, you know, basically just creates a lot of issues for up and coming athletes and everything. And it may mean that um, spots that are or teams that are still around it could mean that it's twice as hard to make a minor league baseball team as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's there's an interesting thing that's been happening in baseball in the last couple of years, and that is dr- high draft picks, first and second round draft picks, are more like what we see in the NFL and in the NBA. They're coming a lot, where lot they're, faster. They are ready to play at that professional level that never used to be the case in baseball if you got drafted in the first round obviously you had a great chance but there are so many guys who are who are now being selected you know high again first second round picks who are going from being drafted getting acclimated to the you know to the organization in the system and basically fast-tracking within a year almost for, for a lot of these guys to the major leagues. And so there's, guess what? Now there's less need for me to have four minor league teams where I have to try to develop, right? Uh, you know, 120 guys or whatever it happens to be. Because I'm probably going to hit on those first couple guys. Right. So I don't need, I don't need to go... 30 rounds into a draft and hope I find a gem. Right. Yeah. That's, this is why a lot of teams have cut, especially like they're like the Indians used to have like low a high a T you know, a lot of teams had that. I'm pretty sure the Indians cut whoever their low a team is out of, out of the fold. But I think they kept, essentially they have a double a and triple a now and like rookie ball. And they're like, that's it. Um, but like some teams have cut rookie ball, winter ball, um, some of their like, you know, some of their other organizations, like a, their Dominican teams, have been cut because right. of the pandemic, and that's yep. a lot of you're squeezing down your talent quite a bit when you do that. Sure, and then because I personally have the experience of working for a minor league baseball team when I lived in Erie, Pennsylvania. Yep, that's opportunities for college students. That's internships. Yep, yep. for people who want to try to, you know, potentially get into the sports industry. Those are gone. Yep. <laughs> for for a lot of people. Yeah, it, it's not just the athletes. It's a lot. Of, I mean, not that like, not that like the Erie Seawolves are like an economic powerhouse necessarily, but right. that still is an economic engine, um, sure. you know, of, of some of some merit in Erie. And there's a lot of teams that if they don't find an organization, a league or something to catch on to, um, then that's it. That's something that's just gone 
from from that you know small town probably. Yeah, and there's a lot of these small town. There's a lot of these small towns out there that like the minor league baseball team. They're hits. It's a success. You know, it's yeah. not like maybe like the Lake Erie Crushers where it's not like that filled up every time. It's you know there are times where you go to a minor league game on a Friday night and it's a packed house. Yeah, and I'll I'll tell you like those minor league baseball parks and in baseball in general is the one sport out of the four major sports, including hockey, that really does something for the fans. And it's like, even if you like hate the sport of baseball, and if you, even if you don't like watching people swing the bat and hit the ball, you can go down to the ballpark at a reasonable price, have beers, be out in the sun and everything, and have like a really fun afternoon because baseball is like the type of sport that does that. Like, right. Hey, by the way, right. So it's really pay- accessible. Yeah, pay 15 bucks, get a district ticket, go stand around and get two right. free drinks or whatever on top of it. All the NFL ain't doing that kind of shit. Right, and exactly. Like, and the whole thing with like the baseball, like I, I personally don't have any children, but the one thing that I really respect about them is the way that they do try to make everything as maybe like as family friendly as possible, but also that they seem to like just do a really good job of making it affordable so like families can go to it. It's not something that's going to cost you 250 bucks to take a, right. to a, a baseball game or right. something. Right. And, there's there's and tons like, of games you can go to. Right. Yeah, know, just you, the volume of the, the amount of opportunities you have. Right. Right. Exactly. And some of those minor leagues that teams that are in jeopardy and that are shutting down while it may not be like a super big deal to, to, to us and everything, but to those people that live in that town, that is like you taking a part of that town away. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. I've been to those games. You don't want to spend, you know, 40 bucks or whatever to, to go to an Indians game. You'd go to a Crushers game for like six bucks. I was, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Akron Arrows game for, out. Akron Arrows game for 15 to $20. Yeah. Um, and then you can, then you can walk away from time. the stadium and go hang out, hang on uh, in lock three or whatever the rest of the night. Yeah, exactly, dude. And paid, you know, like $1 above bar prices for beers yep. instead of right. 12 13 bucks a pop like you would at Wrigley Field. Cherry, mm-hmm. any, any thoughts there before we move on to the next one? No, you're more way into sports than I am. Cherry's so. <laughs> like, sports <laughs> ball? Ooh. Do you wanna... <laughs> Greg, do you want to talk about... Especially. Greg, do you want to talk about emo bands from the 2000s instead? Would that be... Oh, yeah, definitely switch oh, topics. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, I would, I'll get down on that. Believe me, I will get down on that conversation. Uh, well, Cherry, how about how about your sports thing here, uh, since we're, we're on it? Wait, my sports thing? Oh, oh, okay, gotcha. I thought we were grouping those before. All right, never mind. Let me scroll on up. Yeah, so <laughs> sorry, I lost track. No, but with sports, I think it'd be interesting um, to see how audience attendance looks in the future. Um, if they're going to be doing a lot more of the uh, virtual Zoom people like in the audience, like you all saw at the NBA finals and whatnot. Oh, oh yeah, we saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> but it's just very interesting to see like that like virtual option. So I wonder if they're going to offer up like a mix of things in the future. Like you're going to have like half live audience, half you know virtual audience, you know, in the stands up there and whatnot. So I think that sports can definitely go more remote, even um, in terms of being accessible to have more of a virtual experience, especially with stuff like um, VR getting a little bit better and whatnot. So you can actually be there like in the audience and you feel like you're actually there, but you're just from the comfort of your home. So I think it'd be really interesting to see how that all develops in the future. That, that's actually a really interesting idea, like a full VR game. 
throw on your Oculus mm-hmm. and, and watch the uh, watch the game from uh, from a VR camera that's like situated somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I think the NBA was actually doing that even before COVID. They had that option. Um, so it's happening. Um, but when it's going to become more mainstream in the future. Interesting. Uh, I Dennis, just, your I thoughts just, on that? I just want, I just want to see more giant stuffed animals sitting in the seats at baseball games getting smoked in the face by, <laughs> by, by line drives and foul balls. Yep. Oh, yeah, dude. Super, I'm telling super, you. super entertaining for me. Some of those videos were more enjoyable to watch than some <laughs> baseball games. I will tell, I will tell you that. Did, did you guys – Oh, sorry. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to quickly comment on what Greg said and everything. And just to really quickly uh, follow up with you, the idea of putting on an Oculus Rift and being somehow like in the game, we're headed that direction. We are definitely going <laughs> right. that direction. And mm. it's just a, it's just a matter of time until they figure out how to do it and how to do it in a way that it's worth it for you to do it. You know, like part of me would be like, Oh my God, it would be really cool to see like what Aaron Donald or what Jared Goff says, uh, just, you know, the LA Rams references or like what miles Garrett or Baker Mayfield to see on the theater, maybe not Baker. Cause he's so small, but like, it'd be cool to like have that perspective it's Just dudes, but butts. at the same, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. Like, but it, as soon as they figure out a way to, with the cameras do right. it. So, it offers maybe even just more than having a Miles Garrett point of view at a game. Right. You're going like, hey, to play see left that. tackle now on this play. Right. This play you're going to play left tackle. Oh my God. You're going to be follow out. Like one of the, the wide receivers on a route. Just you're going right. to, we're going to get all of this shit as time, um, as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do think that um, it's going to become more accessible in a bunch of different ways. Yeah, no, I think, I think you're right. And Jerry, I think yeah. you brought up a really interesting point there. Um, but that is definitely the direction. That's just the direction we're going until, until in a very odd, not an odd way, but in a way, it almost feels like you're playing a video game. That's that's the direction mm-hmm. it's going. Dennis, you there? Matthew, how about you give me some? How about you give me something about society here? Where what what's what's the pandemic's fingerprint in society going to be? You know, I think. And, and this will be true for me. I think it's going to be mask wearing is more commonplace. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, for me personally, like I don't have any kind of, you know, I don't know, insecurity about wearing a mask around people who aren't. Right. Or that, you know, feeling of um, the only one. Am I doing something weird? Should, should I? <laughs> Should I take this thing off? I mean, I've been, you know, out out in public, and now I'm as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about uh, a fantasy football draft that we had this year, and we had a private room, you know, so we were separated from, you know, kind of the main, you know, restaurant and bar and all that stuff, and it was with work people, so we're around each other all the time. Nobody had tested positive, so we, you know, everybody felt pretty comfortable. I still wore my mask, but I had people coming up and going, dude, you know, you don't have to wear that. Right. It was like, no, I probably don't, but I'm going to. It's and, and I think, you know, going into next year, you know, 2020, as things are kind of clearing up towards what would be a normal flu season. Yeah. I, 
you might catch me wearing a mask out in public. Just, just because, just a little extra, extra protection for myself and extra protection for you and everybody else. Why not? Mm-hmm. I think people are gonna. I think it's gonna be much more commonplace, and people are gonna be comfortable doing that. Yeah, masks are definitely gonna be something that we're going to see more of it's obviously it's not you're not going to see as as much of it because now we you know just the pressure and everything of having to wear a mask and knowing that it's the right thing to do but over time i'm kind of in the same ballpark as you are man like i had grown so accustomed to it um there was one time like i was taking out the garbage like just i just was literally had the garbage bag in my hand and the trash chute is all 15 feet away from my apartment and i was like oh my god i don't have my mask on and it felt like you know, almost kind of weird to not have it on. And I was like, God, I hope someone doesn't see me and stuff. And (laughs) so like, I'm totally fine with this. And you're right. When the, when it is practical, like in flu season or whatever, why the hell not? And dude, like in Ohio, when it gets cold, that extra layer and stuff to heat up your face, like that's why I welcome that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Like I didn't wear a mask around downtown before, which, because I thought it looked stupid and I, but it's the most practical (laughs) thing ever. Like, No, I, I, Dennis, you're you're 100 right. I when I go out and when I go out and hike, I have a mask with me, and on the you know the chance that I encounter some other people, um, and, and our interaction is literally maybe at tops 15 seconds, you know, for like walking alongside each other or something. I put it on because it's yeah. not that big of a deal. Um, it right. just and we're outside. Like we could not be any more in a more aerated place. Um, you know, risk of you know risk of uh, kind of, you know, getting anything is pretty low, and I still do it because it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, and that's and those and think about that particular situation you're describing. If this were a year ago, right, where you're out in the metro parks, and all of a sudden you see you know three people walking towards you, and you quick put on a face mask and pull out my knife <laughs> like I usually people do. Go, and you're right, right. And people just go, "The fuck is this <laughs> dude's problem? Like what?" Like, oh, you're so disgusted by me being near you? <laughs> and I think for a long time after this, that is just going to be something where people go, all right. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, sure. Why not? I get it. Post after he's not, he's, SARS in Asia. He's not going to rob us. No, yeah, I know. After, <laughs> after right. SARS in Asia, mask wearing has been pretty commonplace. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, Chema, how about you? Do you have a societal uh, lasting impact? Oh, yes, I do. And the, for me personally, the um, the pandemic's lasting effect with society, I think it plays into this like deep division in America that, that we're currently experiencing. And what this pandemic gave us, at least for me, is a barometer to measure my fellow human beings and people and stuff. And for me being in Los Angeles, like, you know, I'm just starting out here. I've only been out here like two and a half years or so, which means that I'm going to have to meet a lot of new people and I'm going to have to make new friends and stuff like that, you know, like basically like being a kid going off to college, but at 36 years old. So if like, I just like, this is the situation that I'm imagining here is like, so, you know, hanging out at a party, everybody's having fun. Everybody likes the same stuff that I do. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, we didn't fucking wear our masks. Screw that stupid bullshit. All those goddamn sheep. And it's like, Okay, so am I really going to be friends with this person now? Like, yeah, it's all, it, I mean, it's awesome that they like Arcade Fire, but I mean, this is how they really view the world. So I, I think like this pandemic 
kind of brought out certain things that maybe we saw with people, maybe things that we saw we just let slide or something. And it's kind of reshaped how we as people view other people. And like, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is something that I see. Like, I'm going to be one of these people where like, yeah, like if I ask you about the pandemic and you say like, yeah, I wore a mask and I followed all the rules, I'll be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to hang out with this person again. But if it's not like that, do I really need to like waste my time? Do I really need to like see beyond this person? Are they so great of an individual that the <laughs> fact that they think mask wearing and sheep and all this, is like, can I get beyond that? So I think that this pandemic is, you know, this is a good way for me to navigate who I choose to be friends with in the future. And if it's some, is it, if it is some way of reflection of the divide in America and stuff, then that's fine. I don't need to hang out with non-mask wearers and people who think this whole thing was a fake. Non-mask wearers. <laughs> that's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Um, kind of thinking about that and I'm sitting here wondering if, you know, in, in a couple of years as hopefully tensions have, have simmered, um, you know, under a president that actually speaks about the country and us and not himself every mm -hmm. second of the day, that people, if some of those people, Adam, that you're kind of describing, the, you know, the, the non-maskers, um, do have any moments of reflection where they go, shit, were we wrong on that? Yeah. You know, and, and have so. some sort of a little bit of, um, I don't know, reconciliation might be the, the right word, but at least an admission that, yeah, we got caught up in, in, in a lot of that stuff. And Yeah, and I would honestly, I would be, like, if there were people that could at least admit that, that would open the doors for me to maybe, like, decide to pursue furthering any type of relationship because I could at least see somebody saying like, yes, I was stupid. And believe me, I've done stupid things. I'm probably going to do a couple in the next few days. Like it's just a part. I just do stupid things. But as far as these people that show absolutely no remorse or no admission about anything, this is, this is like a problem. And I, I think that as, as somebody who took this very seriously or as seriously as I, as I possibly could, it's almost like, kind of like offensive that other people didn't work as hard as we do, you know? And it's like, why should I even care that this right. person, why should I even give a shit about them at all? They didn't put forth any effort, you know? And right. like Matt's earlier in the year, Matt said this really like this kind of couple of lines that have just stuck with me throughout the whole year. And of course I'm not going to be able to say them word for word, but he said something about like, you know, these people like these anti Gretchen Whitmer and these people with the guns and the protests, like yeah. when asked to do the simplest thing for their country, which is just, Hey, put this piece of freaking fabric over your face. They weren't even able to do that. So like, why should we as people that took the time to, you know, consider the safety of others? Like, why should we even have to deal with these people? Because they're, it's obviously <laughs> right from jump that they would never do the same for us. Right. And there's, I think all of us, and I'll ask for a confirmation on this, knew someone in high school, or maybe you were that person, who knows, who, you know, was in a class with you, who never studied, 
got high and and partied and did you know all that stuff and got better grades than you <laughs> when you were putting in the yeah. work and you yeah. and we resented that person you're like god mm-hmm. damn it how did they do it they're not even <laughs> right. giving half the yeah. effort i'm giving right and 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 they're, and they're nailing all of this and you did you resented that person it's obviously many years later. I don't think we resent any of those people now. You know, we've we've eventually just gotten over it. But at that time, you felt like you were carrying a like a burden. Like it wasn't yeah. as easy for you. And so you were doing the heavy lifting while you know while other people are basically just giving the finger to everyone else and going, "Well, oh, that's fine. Then you guys figure it out. We're going to do our own thing." Of course. Of Terry, course. do you have any thoughts on this? If you're still here. And I'm still here. <laughs> okay. And you've been quiet. for a minute. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree with everything you're saying. So I don't really have much <laughs> to add to the conversation. <laughs> Thanks for the thoughts. That's you're Greg. Good. That's Greg Mellow Cherry. <laughs> hey, man, you're, you're just right, man. <laughs> Greg didn't say anything because he was that guy. Yeah, I was going to say. That's, <laughs> we, we found him. We like, got him. Hey, you guys do the heavy lifting of the podcast and then... I'll I'll reap all the benefits from our (laughs) (laughs) non-sponsors. No, but, you know, or like one of my favorite ones was like the the group work analogy that you're the one doing all the goddamn work and someone else is going to get an A off your back. (laughs) Right, Um, exactly. Yeah, there's there's actually uh, a, a girl Chem and I went to like middle school and high school with. All I see on her on her Facebook is her gallivanting around at parties, at concerts that are still going on, uh, mask-free, doesn't give a shit. And I'm sure she'll never catch this. I'm sure she won't. (laughs) So whatever. Of course. Of course. But like, but then Dennis gets it. One of my buddies, one of my friends, Lonnie's got it. You know, my dad's uh, wife has got it. And those fucking idiots, those are the ones that walk (laughs) through the rain, between the raindrops. Yeah. Anyway. Um, uh, oh, I'll just uh, throw this out here real quick. Um, you know, like, I think one of the things that we're seeing, um, that we that we're obviously seeing, we're still talking about now, like, when we talk about like, the stimulus packages and stuff that were, were that Donald Trump promised and then just gave up on it for he lost the election. Um, we're, we're seeing how, we're seeing how, um, tenuous and how, um, how fragile our economy and all the safety nets that we've placed over the years for us, just how fragile they actually are. And with that fragility comes, comes like this, it, we're, we're having a lot of economic, economic and racial inequalities that are being laid bare that we never really saw before. Um, it, it, same with, same with health inequalities that we never really saw before. Um, there, I, I saw, I saw someone on TikTok the other day was complaining about the lockdowns in Pennsylvania and the, the, the penalty, you know, the cost that that it's gonna, what it's gonna cost, like mental health and childcare services, and addiction sh- services, which I guess goes into mental health, and like they're right, they're absolutely correct. But it, to me, what that says, it's not about the lockdown that's causing this. It's that it was already underfunded and it was already something that was yeah. so tenuous and so fragile that all mm-hmm. it took was a little shove to break it. Right. And we had a lot of time to ourselves to pay attention. Yep. Yeah, because usually, I mean, we're we're caught up with everything we're doing every day. 
you know, full-time work schedules and if you've got kids and you're, you got events and stuff that you're normally doing, all of that stuff that took up the majority of our, our time and our day, especially weekends, gone. So what else did we have to do? We're constantly watching the news, you know, keeping getting updates on, on what's going on and trying to stay informed on, I mean, God damn it. We watched Governor Mike DeWine every day at like 2.30. For months and mm-hmm. months and months. Right. We were tuned as about as tuned in as we've ever been. And so it's not that this became a new problem. Matt, as you said, it always has been. You just see it now. Yep. You just yeah. see it. Like it's, it's one thing to bitch and complain about like the, you know, cause we clearly are having, this is also exacerbating an addiction problem in our country, specifically with drinking. Um, alcohol sales are fucking through the roof. Um, <laughs> that's that's the only recession proof right. thing there is um alcohol. so like you know so like addiction services are you know people are like all of a sudden like oh, all the people that are addicted to alcohol now i'm like they've always been if this isn't anything that's new we're just paying attention to it now in a way that we've never paid attention to it before yeah no it's amazing like how much we can focus in on the stuff that matters so easily when we aren't distracted with sports and movies and concerts and all that stuff. Right. It's like, if we even just put forth a little bit of effort when sports and movies and all that stuff are around to pay attention to the real stuff, we could be a a better informed society. Mm -hmm. Boring. Adam. I know. (laughs) I know. Believe me, man, I, I, I know that that's like the boring route, but like that it's true, though, like yeah. with the if can you, with all the, the George Floyd protests and everything like those protests still would have happened if we had sports and movies. But I yeah. don't think that they would have been as big. I don't think it would have captivated the world's attention the, the way that it did. If, if Like, you know, the Dodgers were playing at two o'clock later on that afternoon or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Jerry. Agreed. No, um, I do think Adam brings up a good point that, you know, the more distraction we have, you know, the less that we focus on the things that are actually directly impacting us. But, you know, it's just kind of funny, like when we when everyone was upset, that, like football wasn't around or sports weren't happening. They're complaining about that. And then when they got their sports back, they shifted their attention to complain about something else. And then when they got that solved, something else. And so I think that. Um, you know, maybe may circle back around to those Trumpers, you know, those Trump voters or whatnot that are also non-mask people. Um, I think they're always going to find something to complain about because that's just their psyche and just they just want to find something to be upset about because they want to be overzealous about something that they just think is an injustice on their rights in their life when it's really not. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, dude. The uh... I, I do disagree. Though. Oh, oh, we have a dissenting vote. The gentleman from from the West Side. Well, I'm telling you, man, people always find something to bitch about. You you're getting that on the head for sure. I I just me personally, because I can't stand all the complaining. I would just hope to God that it stops. But I know that in reality that it's not going to happen. We might actually be seeing more of it. Yeah, no, Chummy, you're 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 dead you're dead right. You're dead right. Um, I do want to move on to this last piece here. Um, just something that something that is it's going to start unfolding in the next six months, and I think it's really going to pick up speed in the next two years after that. Um, that we are going to see 
I'm going to call this the retail space collapse that there's a like obviously a lot of small businesses and large business larger mid-sized businesses for that matter have been um really just completely buckled by this um especially if you own like a bar or something um you know thoughts and prayers to your bar uh, it's probably not gonna it's probably not gonna make it out of this um but there's a lot of small businesses that are going to realize that they can operate the same way they can operate completely online and not have a really significant dip in their sales and do it all out of a storage space that costs them 60 bucks, 60 bucks a month to rent instead of a thousand dollars to rent. And, hmm. you know, in a, in a, you know, in a, in a nicer suburban, like, um, you know, kind of planned multiplex kind of deal. Um, and so why pay over 10 times as much when you don't have to? Um, and I think it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a surprising amount of businesses that that go you know what I don't need to do this I can sell fucking soap online and then put it in my in my garage and send it out to people and it'll cost me I'll be saving off you know I'll be saving the cost on obviously the retail space but also you know filling you know paying filling up the retail space with other stuff with other you know things that I think I need to make this space look presentable. Um, there's, there's going to be a big boom in these, um, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like automated warehouses where like multiple companies will have, you know, their, uh, their stock and like the warehouse is basically like everything, you know, more than likely prepackaged and essentially, you know, robots and machines load everything up into pallets that's being ordered, put it in a truck and it goes out and you don't mm. even need, you don't need retail space for that. So I, I think that a lot of businesses are just going to go, you know what? I could sell my $20 t-shirts out of this retail space downtown, but why am I paying money for it if I don't have to? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, this pandemic is going to completely reshape the shopping in the consumer market for sure, man. And it is a really good move for a lot of small businesses to go online. And some of these storefronts, man, especially here in Southern California, are a ridiculous amount of money to rent yep. and everything. And sometimes, sometimes you go into these stores, dude, you'll go into a store on Abbott Kinney in Venice and um, it'll be a, like a clothing store. They have like 15 pieces of clothing in the entire store. Right. And like, I, I mean, this is just not sustainable here. You know, even if everything in the store costs 10 grand, that's still not a good business model to be paying that much money in that part of town and to have that particular like piece of business. So if you can move to online, that's really good. I mean, I'm telling you, like money will usually trump practicality. And when you start saving money by not having to rent out a retail space and all of a sudden you check your bank account and there's an extra $2,000, $3,000 a month in there. Yeah. You're going to easily forget about like the idea of going to the store and not to mention like you won't actually have to go to the store. Now you can run (laughs) your business from wherever the hell you want to do. So if you want to go hang out in a $60 a month storage facility, which sounds fucking awesome, go do it. (laughs) And, or you want to do it at your house, totally go do it. And this pandemic, it's like, it is twisting the knife that has been driven through the heart of the retail industry, like throughout the course of the last like 10 years or so. And we're going to see like, it's going to be crazy, man. Like you'll probably see um, bigger spaces because like 
kind of become like multi-use spaces, almost like everything becoming a food hall where you like walk into what used to be a Best Buy and there's like five different things or something like that. Because not all Best Buys could become Spirit Halloween. So like they're going to find something to do with these. <laughs> oh, like, you underestimate. <laughs> oh, I know. We have them out. It's the same thing out here in L.A. too, believe it or not. Old Best Buys are Spirit Halloweens. But uh, so like, yeah, you're just – um this is just going to be the way that everything um, everything adjusts. And what we have here in California, which is actually a, maybe like a first step to the restaurant industry changing, is we have these things that I think they're referred to as like ghost kitchens is like what their like yeah. slang expression is. Yep. is. Yeah, I think I know what, what you're is, talking about. Yeah. You, you um, what it is, is like uh, a food delivery service will have, like it'll be a McDonald's, it'll be PF Chang's, it'll be, you know, two other restaurants inside of a space and they have like a limited menu, but it's through DoorDash. So basically all they're doing is cooking food for drivers to pick up. Those drivers pick up food and they go take it to wherever it needs to go. And that way the restaurant doesn't have to have to open a full location to be able to capture a population in a certain part of town. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, there's there's definite um, changes that aren't even forthcoming. You know what I mean? That the that are happening that I've watched happen just this year myself. And forgive me, I'm trying to. Okay, I'm just trying to remember the name of this um, uh, a restaurant owner here in Cleveland, uh, Dan Deegan who owns um deegan kitchen in lakewood yeah oh yeah good yeah so there is he actually kind of brought a concept and and adam you might have to kind of confirm this for me i don't know if you've you've seen it but i believe it's kind of a west coast thing um and it's it's basically a truck park and so he yeah. mm-hmm. he's he he opened the space in Lakewood. It's actually right down the street from his other restaurant. It's an indoor uh-huh. outdoor. It's a super cool concept where basically he just owns, you know, the the property and built a bar and a huge outdoor seating yep. area with no kitchen. But there is a lane where every day different food trucks rotate in and out. And Mm -hmm. that's where you eat. So you don't have to have a kitchen staff. You don't have to have, you know, the the food cost or anything like that. And restaurants have another outlet to get their, get a product out there. You can have like Barrio, for instance, you know, is one of the most popular um, restaurants, A, in Cleveland. Their food truck is super popular. And so Barrio can have their restaurant, their physical location, and then they can also go to the truck park and get a spot at the truck park for four hours on a Friday and make money that way. Yep. The food truck park is a big thing. Um, When it comes to L.A., they have them. Um, It's not a super popular thing because of just space and all that stuff. But Mm. when you get to the Pacific Northwest, especially in Portland, that is huge. And not only do they have food truck parks, they have like little food villages all throughout the course of the downtown. So imagine like um, imagine like public square, like, you know, it's divided up into like four sections or it used to be the downtown public square. So just imagine one of those is a whole like 
little cluster of food trucks, little like houses that just happen to be restaurants that sell, you know, two or three things on the menu. It's all over the place. So, and I tell you, there are food trucks around here. Like, dude, they're within a driving distance of my house right now. There are like four food trucks that are open. So, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a huge thing. People love it, dude. And that's one thing from the last like 10 years or so that I've, that I'm, I'm glad to see his as stuck around. Yeah. I think it's just going to give, you know, restaurateurs uh, an opportunity to, or people who want to get in the bar business or something and, and worry about, well, how am I going to have, you know, full service? You don't necessarily have to, if you can manage right. a bar, you don't have to worry about the food. Let somebody else. Yeah, exactly. The thing that's in Lakewood is a really, really good idea. And it's so perfect for Cleveland, especially at this time with food trucks and beer and basically alcohol consumption and food in every single place you can go. That's a really good um, move for them. Cherry, throw, throw me your uh, your lasting impact in the business world. Yeah, so actually this is uh, impacting me personally a lot. I'm in tech myself and um, specifically in like HR software, I won't necessarily say the company in case, you know, the one of eight listeners works there. <laughs> I know. But, the company. Um, <laughs> and, here's, and here's about your only fans. Right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, that part's okay. They can become a client. It's all right. Um, no, but it's, you know, we have a physical location, you know, where we, you know, have like our, you know, open space work environment with all our colleagues and whatnot. And that shifted to us working remotely as, you know, as of March. And at first it started as a temporary thing and then it became more of a permanent thing. Um, and it's just been evolving over time. And now we're all at the point where they're saying, hey, if we open the office in 2021, there's going to be unassigned spots that you can reserve. So you can have to reserve space in the actual office itself. And you can't just necessarily just go in randomly because you want to go into a, a place that's not your home. So it's really kind of changed up the dynamic of working from home, which has its benefits, but at the same time too, you're, you know, you're, you work where you live and that can also be a little dissociative for the workers themselves. And um, a lot of businesses are trying to give it as an incentive saying like, well, yeah, you have more benefits with a flexible schedule and whatnot. You can work from home and all this other stuff, but they're also, at least in my case, not supporting us in the ways that you think that they would. Um, Hmm. Like, for instance, like they used to give like gym credit, for instance, if you go to the gym, but all the gyms were closed down. So I was like, well, hey, I bought equipment. Can you can I still get that wellness credit? And they're like, no, you have to go to a gym. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> and so <laughs> right. it's just a, a lot of weird things happening with business. And But I think we on the positive side, though, we are seeing more increasingly remote um, workforce, if you will. And I think that that's been helping a lot of ways with. Also, people being able to manage their schedules a little bit better, especially, you know, with their kids having to stay from home and whatnot. So it's a double-edged sword, you know. It's like there are benefits from working from home, but there also puts a mental strain on you, too. Um, like when yeah. I get out of work, I mean, I see somebody, you know, in public, like, you know, the cashier talks to me. I feel like I talk at them too much because it's the first soul I've seen outside <laughs> of my space. Okay. Right. Yeah, that's – I as you were describing that, I, I had that thought that, there's going to be a lot more working from home, which just push, pushes us closer to too much being alone. Mm. I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Get all these nerds away from me that I work with otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, I'm I'm a fan. Like in, in the beginning, 
it was a big time adjustment, but after all this time, I, I really enjoy it. Like, I mean, now I can yell at the computer all I want to and stuff like that. And <laughs> there's, there's only Jess is the only person to make me feel weird about it instead of like a group of people. So like, it's, <laughs> it's actually pretty awesome, man. Like I, I, I have become more and more a fan as times went on. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. So Dennis, I'll, I'll throw this one to you. Do you think that there's anyone that's going to benefit from the pandemic and, or has anyone already benefited from the pandemic? Yeah, I think we're going to see, and, and, and maybe this almost um, kind of um, enhances the point that, that Adam was bringing up about, you know, kind of gravitating towards, you know, maskers or or people who um, took this seriously and saw how so many people were being impacted. Uh, negatively, unfortunately. And I think there's going to be a real, real push towards small business. I think we're going to see, you know, when people become more comfortable going back out, especially when places are packed, because I know I've been to, I've only been out really a a few times in like the last four months. Um, and I'm a little like if I see that a place is real busy or it's some place where I've got to stand in line because they're at, you know, a maximum capacity or something, I, I tend to just leave and, and find something else because I know that it's there's a reason I've got to stand and wait because I'm going to go into a place that is, you know, full up with with people. So I think when people are comfortable again. And, and businesses and restaurants, bars and that kind of stuff are kind of have their restrictions taken away so that they can be open, you know, past 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. or whatever. I think people are going to flock to small businesses and, and things in their own community. Already seeing it. There was just a couple of days ago, there was a, a new story here in Cleveland highlighting um, Danny Boy's Pizza. And, you know, they got a couple locations in the in the Cleveland area, Northeast Ohio, and they're really good. And, you know, the story is obviously, you know, we're struggling. It sucks. We're cutting staff. We're following all the rules. We're doing the best that we can. But, you know, obviously it's it's hard. We can only be at a certain capacity. So it's like, you know what? I was I was thinking about getting, you know, doing a Friday night pizza or something. I'm going to Danny Boy's. I'm going to make sure that I do something to help them a little bit. And I, I went there, you know, ordered, went to go pick it up. I had to wait about 35 minutes just to pick it up. Once I got there, they were slammed. Like the outpouring of support was just incredible. I mean, I could see back into the kitchen and just two full rows of, of tickets and orders. And these people were working their asses off. Some people were being dicks about how long it took, because of course it has to be about them and not about the people who are doing everything possible to help you. I didn't care. I would have waited 45 minutes. It was awesome to see people step up and, you know, and help a a small business. I think that's going to be a huge impact going forward. 
I, I think you're I think you're right. Like I, I I really do think you're right that um that um we're we are gonna see like a little small business boom. I think I think you and I think you're you pinpointed it too. It's gonna be the restaurant stuff. You know, more so than like a local T shirt company. Um right. you know, or whatever else. Um the local the local the Rose Apothecary is not is not gonna get the same support as uh as Cafe as Travel Cafe. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think you're right there. Yeah. yeah, dude, I'm telling you. And with the restaurants, it's just so much easier to go out and support the local restaurant industry than it is the hipster soap company. And like, when you, I guess, like, if I was to hear Danny Boy's message, yeah, you bet, dude. I, I'd go. There. I love Danny Boy's to begin with. Danny Boy's is the bomb. The Cleveland style pizza is amazing. But to and no, and if they, and if I saw like on social media or something that they had a call and they were doing this kind of stuff, it would prompt me to go there. But if, but if yeah, if like you know Henrietta soaps or uh, what is it, Kilted Bros in the Galleria, if Kilted Bros was going under, I'd just be like, okay, you know, Whatever. I'm not yeah. buying a, I'm not <laughs> buying a kilt. But like a restaurant <laughs> and stuff, it's a little, it's a little bit easier, I think, for people to go out and support those restaurants. And I got to tell you, like I am all about people going and starting businesses if you want to sell uh fancy kilts or something like that in the galleria more power to you but like if your business folds like it's like i gotta say like i highly doubt it's because the kilt market is so high in cleveland you know what i'm saying like that might be a little bit that might be a little bit on them (laughs) no you're absolutely you're you are absolutely right uh how about you then um you know has anyone already benefited from uh from this pandemic Okay, so I got to tell you guys, um, I took this answer a little bit of a different approach. Um, and I'll be 100% honest with you. In a way, I've kind of benefited from the pandemic. Um, we've had our lives basically shut down. Jess and I have not been able to travel. We haven't been able to go to concerts, sporting events, movies. We haven't been able to really go out and eat. You know, I mean, even though there was outdoor dining, it's not like this was something her and I were dying to do every weekend. Right. So her and I have, you know, our finances have kind of straightened themselves out and any, like Mm. any kind of financial hit that we took in, in the move and getting out here, a lot of that stuff has been, has been leveled out because we haven't been able to do anything. And I'm not going to like, we've, we've done our fair share of buying stuff on Amazon and I now own more hooded t-shirts than I ever have in my life. But (laughs) I'll, I'll tell you, like, um, I, have been fortunate enough that this shutdown and this stopping and halting of my regular way of life is just basically, I've just been saving and stuff like that. So is there definitely an inverse to this? Yes. I mean, we've paid, you know, the costs of, there's definitely probably some strain on our mental health. I definitely say there's some strain on our mental health, not being able to do anything, you know, and we've kind of this year, I guess you might be able to just, take it as a mulligan year or whatever. So, I mean, if there's that inverse of the coin, but if I'm, if I'm speaking from like a financial perspective and stuff, like yeah, there's no, no more debt. There's no more, any of this stuff because we haven't been able to buy things we'd usually buy. Chair, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I do agree, you know, that there definitely is you know, some 
personal benefits to some people to some extent, but um, I don't know. I just it's kind of weird seeing like all these giant big businesses grow even more and more um, because of a pandemic. I mean, Amazon Jeff Bezos mm-hmm. is like what 114 billion dollars or something oh, like that. A trillion? Oh fuck! I'm way off. Sorry. Great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. I got the wrong number somehow. Um, but even then, yeah, it's just it's it's he's that rich that is unfathomable to even believe that there's a number that can exist like that. And it's so weird seeing that that's happening, and yet seeing so many people around us suffer, you know. And I don't know. For me personally, it's been weird because I'm in a job where I am totally good, but then you see all these people around me, like in a service industry, that were living just fine lives and getting along just fine and now they're you know rubbing two coins together to try you know make something work and it's just very disheartening to see that these giant conglomerates are just doing better and better and um mm-hmm. i don't know and like how all these like uh ppp loans or whatever again handed out and how there's loopholes for them um where big businesses are benefiting from you know government subsidizing like for instance joel osteen's church got like 4.4 million dollars yeah. <laughs> like, right I don't know. I just maybe I'm a little cynical about who's benefiting during this pandemic. I think there's those of us who aren't affected. And then there's those of us who are negatively being impacted and there's those who are benefiting. So it's definitely a spectrum. Mm. Um, I think the ones that are benefiting for the most part are the ones that shouldn't be given anything at all right now. Yeah. Yeah. Because Joel Olstein's already tax exempt church mm-hmm. definitely needed more federal assistance. Well, the Lakers right, needed right. the $20 million they got. <laughs> yeah. so, oh, somebody's got to pay Anthony Davis. I, mean, so, so I was going to say to offset Anthony Davis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm telling you, the the conversation about these billionaires and Jeff Bezos and everything making a bunch of money that is that is a whole other thing. I, it's I can't even believe it. And even when I go back and I did a little bit of research, because that was one of my answers too, is Jeff Bezos and stuff. Same, same here, actually. That, I literally just had Jeff Bezos in capital letters. <laughs> yeah, like anytime there is a like a crisis, these titans of industry always seem to get richer. It's really crazy how they somehow manage to do it. And like I know people that have been devastated by this thing, and it's it's so weird to like even for you know just I guess there are some times where like it, this whole thing has made me feel really it's maybe even feel bad sometimes just because I haven't had, because I've known other people that have had it so hard, you know? And it's, mm-hmm. for me, it's just like, we get up, we go to our computers and we work in front of our computers all day. But there are people like even Dennis being laid off and stuff like that. I mean, your life has been impacted by this thing in ways that I've never gotten to experience. And like, I, I don't know. I almost feel bad for saying that I've benefited from the pandemic in some way, knowing that you had gotten laid off and stuff. It's kind of bad form on my part, but uh, no, yeah, no, because I, I, I had God damn. <laughs> <laughs> somebody had to say it. Thank you, Jesus. Um, no, I, I hadn't considered that. I hadn't thought of myself as having benefited, even though I, I kind of did because I you know, received unemployment benefits while I was gone. I, you know, because I was laid off as a part of COVID, you know, there were, um, you know, special, oh my God, now I can't even think of it. You got, you I got mean, there enhanced was, benefits. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got, you know, stuff from the CARES Act. I mean, I literally had to have like a 
COVID like number and stuff, you know, you're filling out all these, all these things to qualify. So I came out, you know, financially. Okay. Basically my, what I would normally make was given to me and I didn't do anything. I mean, I mean, I did, I, you know, I, I, tried to stay at home as much as I could and, and not expose myself and expose other people. So I tried to do my, you know, little part during that time. The thing that, you know, through, through this last year, and, and I got a feeling there are a good amount of people who were in my situation. Those are the people that you always heard everyone. Oh, they just want to be unemployed. They'd never go back to work. If, you know, if you continue to just give them assistance, Bullshit. and then you'd see, right? I didn't want to be laid off for four months. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, but mm-hmm. I didn't decide that. That was decided for me. Yes, I did okay during that time. I I was fortunate enough where I was taken care of. But I was ready to go back to work, and I wanted to go back right. to work. And right. I, that, yeah, you that's didn't why want I to actually, be laid off, right? Right. When I was given the opportunity to go back to work, I took a different position because it was a chance to, you know, work 40 hours and, you know, make, you know, an okay wage and all that stuff. I was ready. And then the, the thing that I, I saw quite often too is people's attitudes towards you know, the people who were in my position who were laid off for, you know, several months, a lot longer, and who did receive benefits as if, like, I didn't deserve it or, or other people didn't deserve it. Well, first of all, that's our money to begin with. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> unemployment benefits, we pay, we pay into that. Right. So that was just a savings account, basically, for us, Right. So all I did was tap into my own savings account. Well, guess what? Yeah, our, our taxes helped, you know, pay for part of the things from the CARES Act. We've been paying taxes, you know, since we were 15 and started working. Well, so you guys what? you guys have been paying taxes, you fucking suckers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. according, to, according to the government, Matt Pagel does not exist. That's right. Uh, <laughs> but but that was, that's ours anyway. Right. Oh, yeah. Dude, we pay into the system. We should get something out of it. Right. But I just, I I guess I never thought of myself as personally benefiting, even though uh, I kind of did. And, um, you know, I've I've saved that money, gone back to work, continued to save more money. And now, guess what? Uh, A little boost to the economy. I'm now in a position where I can buy a new car. Right. Yep. Exactly. So yep. tell me that that's not a, a benefit. Yeah. <laughs> you're Dennis. You're 100 percent right. Um, I want to I want to spin this end this question a little on a positive note. As we mentioned before, um, we talked about the you know the social justice movements, especially you know post killing of George Floyd. Um, boy, what a what a great what a great situation to have the news basically fixated on one thing because obviously no sports um that was out of the way no new movies were being released but also i have to imagine and then this is a little bit cynical but 
the way that the 24 hour news cycle works, um, there's this old saying that if it bleeds, it leads that something like something violent, especially is going to lead the news. Well, we have this violent death caught on camera and then this amazing response from all the people, um, obviously first, first in Minneapolis, but then like across the world that it was just this perfect storm of pushing this message farther than it would have gotten before. Obviously again, because of stuff like sports is out of the way, but the news wanted to cover anything else, right? Besides talking about the <laughs> pandemic again for the you know hundredth straight day, <laughs> right? So it was just this perfect storm of like really getting, and for the first time since we didn't since we didn't have the message clouded by, um, you know, we didn't have the message clouded by someone kneeling for the national anthem, that there was like you if you still don't understand what what these social justice movements are about then it's now your fault for either not understanding or probably more likely being an asshole and not wanting to understand. Like there was no, there's no more ambiguous, there's no more, there's no ambiguousness to what's going on anymore because nothing else is there to distract it. So all these social justice movements have really, really benefited from having a very clear message being delivered over the airwaves for weeks and months on end. Yeah, and it's got to be the first time that they've ever had that opportunity to do so. I mean, any time that somebody in the past would try to get a message out about social justice, you would immediately just – it would get buried or you'd hear counterarguments or something. It would be so – people would try to murk it up the way that – as best they could. With this, the video was right there. I mean this is a video that somebody shot off their phone of the cops doing it to this guy. And there is nothing that you could possibly work up about that. Like that is presented crystal clear. And because because this was something that captivated everybody's attention, it gave these movements the opportunity to have their message just going crystal clear to an audience that they would have never gotten in previous years. Greg, do you agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, yes, of course Greg, I do. <laughs> Greg. I'm gonna for your like sound clip. I'm just gonna do a super cut of you going, uh huh. Yep, I agree. <laughs> yep. Agreeable, Greg. That's what we call him. <laughs> agreeable, Greg. <laughs> old, old, agreeable, Greg. Uh, but do you actually have any thoughts on this, Greg? Do I have any thoughts about this? Um, no, I think you guys all nailed it pretty good. So, right. uh, <laughs> yes. Dennis, how about you? Moving on. <laughs> no, we can we can move on. Um, so, Dennis, you kind of you kind of brought it up before. Is there anything else you're going to do? Um, uh, or wait, was it Chama? I'm getting confused now. Um, but anything else you're going to do differently after the pandemic is more or less under control? I will start with. I'm going to start with Greg Cherry. I'm agreeable, Greg. Anything that you're going to be doing differently even after the pandemic is under control. Yeah. Good point, Matt. All right. No, I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, no, no. So in all seriousness, um, I think I'm definitely going to, uh, I mean, even during this right now, even, you know, after things are over and whatnot, just, um, just kind of reassess how I interact with others in terms of how much sympathy and patience I get to those, you know, that um, are just going through life around me. Like, for instance, I mean, when all this hit, luckily enough, I was able to keep my job and not really much changed for me other than the fact that I just stayed at home way much more, you know. Um, but I have a lot of people around me that are that were super directly impacted, still are to this day, um, that are doing way worse off than they were before. And, you know, you never know where somebody's coming from in terms of, you know, if they lash out on you to social media or just in person. So 
just trying to make sure I'm just giving people a bit more grace around me as I interact with them on a day to day. That's pretty nice of you. I mean, I would have just I would have actually gotten less yeah. empathy, but <laughs> that's one way to go, I guess. Uh, Dennis, how about you? Oh, it's real simple. Never speak the name of Donald Trump ever again. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Chum, how about you? Social distancing. Everybody keep the fuck up out this business and stuff. Like <laughs> this whole thing, this pandemic should have eliminated the notion of close talkers. I think Dennis, you hit on this earlier in the episode. This should, this should be gone. And I kind of want to enjoy a little bit of space. I will say in concerts and movie theaters and stuff like that, where it's practical, of course. But as far as like, you know, the day-to-day interactions and everything like that, or if I'm going to the store, yeah, there is no reason for you to be all up in this. It should be a two <laughs> urinal split instead of one from now on. <laughs> less I'm, toilets, less toilets, less I'm, toilets. I'm piggybacking <laughs> off of your of you there, Chama, that I've really enjoyed not being just completely like standing in line at the grocery store, not having someone's like fucking annoying kids pressing up against me, bouncing around my back, like hitting me in line. That has been delightful. And as someone who is, <laughs> is basically a Dennis and a half across, like I'm already mindful of my space. That's an interesting unit of measurement. It is, isn't it? It's, it's true though. Um, like I'm already mindful of my space and like I prior to this would make sure that I wasn't like in anyone's Dude, my shoulders are so fucking wide. I make sure that I'm not in someone's personal space and it's always little people that don't seem to like have this concept and now they've been forced to have it and thank fucking God I'm going to continue with this and I hope other people continue with it too. Right. This (laughs) I'm, (laughs) I'm I'm just realizing, and I'm very thankful in this moment for the opportunity to not have someone six inches from my back in a long line at the store. Yeah, it's terrible. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, do you think that you dry humping me from behind is going to make that cashier move faster? It's not. No, I'm but gonna they're going to probably... get off I'm gonna exactly. <laughs> I might enjoy it a little bit. I might enjoy it a little bit, but it's not making us get out of here any quicker. Right. So back right. off. Uh, Cherry, is there anything book, movie, TV show, song, a video game, anything? It doesn't even have to be from this year that you think is emblematic of this year. Oh man, yeah. So um, I played The Last of Us Two or The Last of Us Part Two this year, and one of my favorite games of this year, probably of my life. Um, for if you don't know what it is, essentially there's just a big old virus. Everyone's getting sick, turning these killer zombie things, yada yada yada. And then people are trying to keep themselves alive amongst the infected, and also try and just kill each other to claim their own territory and resources, right? And so I know COVID, of course, wasn't that extreme by any means. Not yet. But if things got even worse, say if this you know was a more infectious virus than what it already was to begin with and things did spot where more control and we had you know toilet paper gate one two three four through 20 and it just all got taken away i don't know i think that things just <laughs> smiled out of control way quicker um you know than uh, what it did for sure so it was a it was really severe kind of playing that game where it had 
of course, the extreme on one side, but then you see things happening right now that if you told us it would happen four years ago, we tell you that you're crazy and to go fuck off, right? Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'll go ahead and jump in here real quick. Uh, I'm going to go with the the movie based off of a comic book miniseries, uh, 30 Days of Night. Um, and basically, it's uh, you know, the story synopsis here. People are trapped indoors in a small Alaskan town uh, during their, their long polar night, which lasts 30 days. Um, and they're being hunted by vampires, and through the selfishness and stupidity of the others, more and more people in the town are getting killed by the vampires. Um, yeah, like, the only... If we would just do what we were asked, we probably would have survived the, the, the vampire onslaught uh, in this movie. And if we just did what we were asked from the beginning, there probably wouldn't be 300,000 dead Americans. Mm-hmm. Yep, very true. Very true. Chema, how about you jump in? Okay, mine is um, The Flaming Lips. It's a song by The Flaming Lips called Waiting for Superman, which is off of their 1999 album, The Soft, Bu- Soft Bulletin, which is kind of like this climax album of The Flaming Lips' career that sent them onto a great path of music uh, in the early 2000s. The song Waiting for Superman, uh, basically, I think it's metaphorical of a, a position a lot of people are in, if not everybody is in, and... I think we are all waiting for Superman in some way, shape or form, whether it's to open up the gyms again, whether it's to let you go to the movies, whether it's just to go see your friends and not have this cloud of mask wearing and a pandemic over your head. We're all waiting for something to come save us from some situation. And I think this song is completely applicable to 2020. Mm. I dig it. I like that a lot. Dennis, how about you? I regrettably uh, gave myself the challenge and wanted to pick something from this year oh, okay. that was emblematic of this year. And I had a hard time with that, but I went back to the Parks and Rec reunion. <laughs> All right. 2020 has been remarkably unfunny. <laughs> the Parks and Rec reunion was remarkably unfunny. It stunk. It was needless. And the the thing that upset me about it the most is that in the episode, they are reminding us of the situation we were all in. And they were constantly referencing it. That's not what we needed. We did not need to be reminded in our entertainment of every day of this year it was awful it was worthless garbage it never needed to happen this pandemic never needed to happen or be like this i i'm i'm with you there on that dennis it's although i i as as someone who was never a particular parks and rec fan um i kind of through the episodes i've seen and probably just like the inundated inundation of memes that i see online with like parks and rec stuff i'm kind of i'm kind of glad i never wasted my time on it to get that you know what i mean like yeah invested that much energy be, and then there's a right, reunion be, and it's just like crap excited and everything. about that exactly. yeah yeah all right let's move on here uh the occasionalist in review um we're going to talk about ourselves uh real quickly here uh, it's going to be a little bit, probably a little bit harder for uh, for Greg and Dennis, for agreeable Greg and Dennis to uh, to answer some of these questions, but no big deal. Um, so let's. I'll, I'll start with you, Chama. Um, what was your favorite topic that we covered this year? 
Okay, I would definitely say that the favorite topic that we did this year was our time travel episode. Oh, nice. And the reason the reason for this, dude, that was one of the best examples of just hard work on research and filling out the outline, paying off big time. And for me, like, there was a lot of things. There were terms that I heard before. There were theories and questions and stuff that like you know in my mind i had heard of but i didn't necessarily comprehend exactly right. what they were in a way that i could talk about it with someone who is as educated as you are on the subjects so this was like seriously adam chemaluski learning time travel and quantum physics and all that via youtube videos and <laughs> online essays for two or three days straight and while at times it was a little bit grueling because I had never really done anything like that before. I mean, just imagine like forgetting how to like relearning how to study almost. Right. But the episode <laughs> when it was all said and done, I thought turned out to be a really, really great episode that was full of all kinds of actual discussion, some hypothetical stuff, funny stuff. Like it was just what I thought a, a great example of hard work paying off. It was, I, I really, that was the one, and I've, I know I've said it, I know I said it during the episode, and I, literally of every episode that I've ever done of this show, or even back to when Dennis and I were doing this uh, years ago, that is the hardest, the singular hardest outline I ever had to write, because kind of like you, I, like, I knew a lot about this stuff, but not enough to, like, ask you, a, like, a question about theory on it. So, like, I had to, like, learn it, and then go, okay... How the fuck do I translate the A theory of time into a question? Because it is relevant right. to what we're talking about. Like it was really, really difficult, but it I do love that episode. It def definitely turned out really well. Yeah, what was your favorite of the year? Uh, I had a legitimate tie. Like I couldn't I couldn't break this down uh, one way or the other. Um, so it was a tie between our 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 month long John Carpenter um, you know spooky season and uh, mm -hmm. our heroes and villains episode uh, episodes. Um, they were, John Carpenter was just like, sort of, I was just really pleased to go back with another, you know, John Carpenter, a, a Halloween head, a John Carpenter head, if you will, mm -hmm. um, really pleased to go back and go through, you know, the stuff that we liked that we, you know, we talked about Halloween. We talked about the thing. We talked about, uh, the fog and assault on precinct 13. Like we talked about the classics, but it was really fun to go and do, and do a deep dive on Christine and do a deep dive on, uh, in the mouth of madness. And then it was a blast to go through and sort of break down like how we how we categorize and how like we use heroes and villains in the story and like how I, and I what I pulled out from the heroes and villains thing is really that it, I really think the villains obviously they're more fun they're a little more interesting I think they are the most important piece to the puzzle in terms of that kind of story even if they're kind of minimized you. A story where the hero is like the overwhelming force in it, that's not interesting. So like the mm -hmm. villain really is the linchpin in any kind of story like that. Yes, and dude, like when I was a kid and like a naive kid, you know, not knowing anything about movies or stories or anything like that, I would definitely be drawn to these superhero heavy type stories, you know, like just the singular protagonist, you know, the guy trying to avenge the the kidnapping or death of his wife that kind of stuff very simple to follow but as you get older you do really realize how much the villain is an integral part of the story and sometime in the last like four months or so i got caught up in reading this like little transcription from a fellow writer i have no idea who it was off the top of my head but 
he makes this great point about whenever he sits down to develop a hero, the first thing he does is develop the villain because the the, the number one because that's more fun, and number two because the hero always sounds, ends up being a reflection of what the villain is anyway. So hey, might as well start off with doing something you like. The more fun part about the writing process. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Cherry, perchance, do you have a, a favorite? Um, I'm a little biased because uh, any of the ones I had to choose from are the ones I was I was in. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Nar- maybe you actually listened to the show and liked another episode. Yeah, there's the narcissistic comedian. <laughs> yep. Greg. Uh, that's it. That's it. No, no, I really do like the Mortal Kombat one though. Because that was fun. It was. It was it was a pretty fun one to do, and it's just I'm very nostalgic, um, and it made me actually go back and watch something that I haven't seen in years since I was a kid, and uh, it was just kind of cool to see that comparison between you know how I viewed things beforehand in a movie and then how I see them years later, and also too, you know, we just talked about getting, Goro getting punched in the nuts a lot too, so that was that was fun to talk about. <laughs> hey, we we have a legit follow up episode. April sixteenth is the Mortal Kombat release on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm nice. <laughs> okay. Okay. Throwing that yeah. out there, uh, Dennis. How about you? Do you did you just go ahead and fill this one out or whatever? What you do? Well, <laughs> first of all, nut punching content is what I'm here for. That's <laughs> why we brought um, Cherry on. Exactly. Yeah, guys, I did not do my homework assignment on this one. No, no big deal. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know if you'll you'll actually get get to it, but I I wish that I, I got to be a part of the Civil War episode you did. Oh, uh, okay. Because that, I thoroughly enjoy the Civil War. I love the Civil War and all the blood and the death <laughs> and the families being destroyed and the country being torn apart. It's great. Spoiler alert, we don't really talk much about that Civil War. Uh, again, yep. let's reiterate the non-homework assignment I completed. No big deal. So All in right, my uh, mind, you did. Oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, no, we. I mean, we trust me. We talk about it, but um, uh, the biggest part of the episode that Chema wrote was um, uh, kind of like a thought exercise about what what comes next. So um, it was it was fun. It was, I love that episode too. That was fun. Uh, Chema, your favorite. Subject or moment, something that you like that like you brought to the table. This is where you can be narcissistic, like Greg. Okay, dude, I liked the idea of the twenty-four hour movie review episode. That, for some reason, the idea of putting a timeline and a clock on viewing to episode, I think, is a really cool idea. And it just, it just the whole freshness of it, being able to talk about the ideas just while they're like almost right in your head, like hot off the press, I think brings a new kind of element to the whole thing. It doesn't really give me the the time to um, think about crazy different theories and perspectives and all this kind of stuff. It's just like, bam, right off the press, very simple outline to follow and everything like that. I I thought that that episode that we did of uncut gems worked out very good. Yeah. And it was, what was, what was really interesting about it is you and I both caught visual stuff and like, and uh, like stuff with the score that I'm like that you didn't hear or see and that I didn't hear or see. But like because, you know, we, we did do this literally I think it was like more like thirty six hours, probably. Closer to that. But regardless something like that. Yeah. yeah, it was such a quick turnaround. If we had a whole week to sit on that and like think about it, that it would have been I'm sure we would have had more we would have like noticed more of the same thing. So it's kind of interesting to see like what you saw versus what I saw. Definitely, dude. Definitely. Uh, we'll start with Dennis first. 
on this question? I'm sorry, the question is? Uh, what's what's the favorite thing that you've done so far this year for the Occasionalists? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Being on this episode? It's it's right up there. <laughs> it's 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 ooh, uh, there's there's a lot, lot. There's a lot of things. Um, all 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 of them. All right, I'm gonna move on to Greg. All, Jerry, Greg, all. what was your favorite thing that you brought to the the table this year for the Occasionalists? <laughs> oh well, let me tell you. Um, well, uh... <laughs> you were, I mean, you were on multiple episodes, just letting you Dude, know. I know, yeah, but no I don't remember. For you, I, I don't remember many or all of our conversations. Um, Greg, so... Greg, Greg, did you share episodes on Facebook? I did anything? share episodes on Facebook. Yes, I did. I did. Wonderful. It's like you guys exposure. Genuinely appreciate your support. <laughs> no, honestly, I don't remember what I brought up. I know I brought up good points in the past because I remember not being agreeable. <laughs> But I don't know what I said when those good points were brought up. So All right. This one is actually a hard one for me. All right, fair enough. Um, <laughs> so actually, I'll I'll start here with Dennis. Then uh, actually, this you, either you guys can answer this one. Um, but Dennis, if you you know when when you I hope you do want to make some appearances in the future. Um, any topics that we didn't get to that you would like to uh, that you would like to do? Um, <laughs> the Civil War. The actual <laughs> civil, civil war. <laughs> I, I would sincerely enjoy that conversation. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Cherry. Yeah, so this one I did have an answer for. Uh, <laughs> I personally think it would be pretty cool if you all covered, like, evolution of um, how mobsters are portrayed in media. Like, you know, from, like, Scarface, and like the modern mob and gang, what that looks okay. like. And how even, Ooh. like, conglomerates themselves can be mobs in their own sense. I think that'd be kind of cool to track and follow. That's actually Very interesting. interesting. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's a really I'm good one. Going to steal that idea, not going to lie. <laughs> that's also the favorite thing I brought to the table. So There you go. See, two uh. for, a twofer. <laughs> a twofer. No, I like that, though. That's actually really interesting. Um, yeah, no, that, that's a really good one. It also gives me an excuse to watch a shit ton of, like, gangster movies and stuff. So <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, so that's good. Gemma, how about, uh, how about you? Dude, I wanted to, once again, I wanted to get in something with the boys, but it, this just wasn't the year for it. And as much as I love the show and as much as I feel the show does deserve an entire episode of, of discussion, it just wasn't the year. Like, there was just other things to talk about. It was a great season of the boys, but I don't know, man. I just thought we had other stuff to talk about. And yeah. the boys thing might work better as like a, um, a retrospective on like the entire show kind of thing instead of talking about an individual season. Or if they have a really crazy season, we could talk about it or something. But just this year wasn't the year. Yeah, no, there's there's in that regard, there's like a lot of entertainment stuff that just got left on the table that just it, it really didn't. Yeah. It just didn't fit, it just didn't fit in. Um, and kind of on that kind of on that same idea, like Chum, I'd love to do a whole month. That is a whole month, uh, you know, like probably two or three episodes that are dedicated to the supernatural and or the unexplained. Um, you know, it like we can stretch that like really far too. Like we could talk about, oh, yeah. you know, we could talk about like people, you know, like disappearances of people. Like how in some places, you know, you have you have like absurdly high rates of like kidnappings and disappearances in certain places. You know, like even though there might not be a supernatural concept behind it. Like, what are the possible reasons for it? Um, just that kind of stuff that's, like, on the fringe of 
the on the fringe of um uh, I don't know I don't know I guess like that like the unseen kind of stuff is like stuff that I'm interested in. Yeah, I got you, dude. We could solve a murder too, or something like that in this. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. In this well, no, right you know why we can't solve a murder? We're not two white we're women. Guys. Yeah, we're not two yeah, white that's women. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, so, any any corrections or issues or things? Anything you want to clear up, Chema? Yes, um, there are two things. The first thing is, is I totally want to apologize for the brain fart I had on John Lewis and Elijah Cummings two weeks ago. (laughs) Those guys um, are phenomenal history figures and so important to the development of America. And I had a total mind fart on that. So I do want to apologize for that. And the second thing is, is I was way off about this virus, man. I the numbers, everything, cases, the death toll. I was so off on this. I did not think it was going to be this nuts. Um, I even think when we talked about the pandemic, we maybe speculated on some of these figures and I was just ridiculously off. So um, everything just, this whole thing got way worse than I had originally expected. And I always kind of heard those arguments about like, Hey, this is the new normal and stuff. And I was just resistant to it. I was young and stupid and naive. And I thought like, Hey, by the way, maybe this would unite the country or something like that. Not the case whatsoever. And I was, I was completely, completely wrong. <laughs> hey, Chema, hey, congratulations. You are now the Senator of California. <laughs> yep, I appreciate it. You I'll, are I'll qualified. It. You're in. <laughs> no, believe me, man. That sounds like a job. I'm like, I would. Gl- I will take Kamala Harris's seat, and I will do her. Um, yeah. I will do her job justice. I promise. Uh, Greg, did you have anything for this? Um, the only thing I want to clear up is that we're all well thought out, well spoken people. And when I go last on a topic, if good things are said, I just have nothing to add. <laughs> so uh... very true. <laughs> That's all. That's that all. is You're a fact. Doing, doing, doing the Lord's work. So keep it up. Denny, do you have anything here? You know, let I, I got to do one quick little piece of, of housekeeping here. We're recording this on uh, December seventeenth. Although, although we've been doing this for seriously like four hours, it's yep. now December eighteenth. Um, so we'll still call it the seventeenth, um, which means two days ago was December fifteenth, which means. Matthew Pagel had his birthday. I did. That is correct. That is happy right. birthday, my friend. Happy birthday. Appreciate happy it. I appreciate it. Happy non-Facebook post birthday. <laughs> yes. Vocalize happy birthday. <laughs> the, the compulsory, <laughs> yes, happy birthday that Facebook makes you. Um, or you look like an ass um, if you don't do it. Yeah, I, pre- I appreciate it. Thank you very much. It was, uh, it was yeah, just two, now three days ago that I turned uh, old. I am. Yeah. <laughs> Good enough. Uh, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm next. Uh, Two months, man. I'm next. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's weird. On, on the 15th, my back and knee started hurting. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I actually, I just have one correction that I want to make, and it's it's from our John Carpenter. It's from our In the Mouth of Madness episode. I guess not a correction, but like something I'd, I, I think I want to replace. That when we, when we did the recast of In the Mouth of Madness, which I really want to see and give to Ari Aster now, um, like having sat in this for a couple months. Um, when we did our, when we did our recast, we both, uh, you had, who was your, who was your, uh, Sutter Kane? Remind me. It was the guy from Watchmen who played Dr. Manhattan and played Cal. I uh, cannot remember. Yeah. Yeah. Medulla Ma- Ma- uh, Abteen or something like that. A team. Yeah. Is, I know. It, yes. Yeah. 
Um, I, I, I can never remember his name. I'm sure I butchered that. And I went with uh, Tony Todd, uh, the great Tony Todd of, uh, you know, of Candyman and various other and Final Destination. Um, and I, the Chema, the real answer was staring us in the face and we fucked up, both of us. The real answer, if you're to do this reboot next year or whatever, the real answer for Sutter Kane is Sam Neill. Oh, man, that's right. Sam old Neal. Sam Neill has been kicking ass, yeah. dude. Like, he's been kicking ass as an old guy. Bring it full circle. I, take Sam Neill out of the role that he just, you know, basically kind of like a... In the way that, like, that movie was a meta movie and a book movie, and it, it kind of blurred the lines of reality and, you know, fiction, would that also not kind of fit in with the movie taking someone from the original cast and recasting them in a different part? Yeah, and especially taking the protagonist of the movie and making him the antagonist yeah. of the new movie that's meta on a whole new level yeah i think i think sam neil was the answer anyway good point great point all right let's move into this last couple parts here i'm calling this part the occasionalists <clears throat> the occasionalists excuse me where we kind of uh take over which is it's just a rant about something that the you want to talk about i don't we don't none of us know what we're going to talk about um so we're just going to it's just your show for the next couple minutes. So, Dennis, would you like to lead off? It sounds like you have something pressing to talk about. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So, okay. There is something in my life that I have never done, never tried. And I feel like, Chema, I'm going to lean towards you on this one a little bit, just based on uh, comments earlier in, in the show. Okay. Because I got a real, real tough decision here, gentlemen. Should I, or should I not, try the McRib for the first time in my life? Oof. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's an experience. Because, <laughs> yes. okay, understand, this is kind of a point of pride for me that I never have. Okay. I will tell you, it's, um, I understand the pride point. I really do. <laughs> However, I do think that this is one of these things that it's worth it to put that pride aside to be able to <laughs> accurately join the discussion. And now the discussion is basically you making a Facebook post once every single once before the McRib comes out, letting us know when the date of the McRib comes out. And then it, it'll be another Facebook post that gives everybody your opinion on the McRib you've just had for the same time every single year. (laughs) So I do think, I actually think that it's worth it. I mean, like for me, like growing up in school and stuff like that, one of my favorite cafeteria lunches was rib sandwiches, the rib patty sandwich. They're good. So if you want that nostalgic connection, if you, if this is something that you, you also enjoyed the rib patty sandwiches in school growing up, I highly recommend it. But however, I will say that if we're talking about fast food products, it is not a game changer in the sense of like the Doritos Locos Taco, for example, which I thought was a game changer mm, for fast food. Okay. That was just something that was so good. It, it, so it's, like, it's no Popeye's chicken sandwich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Popeye's mm. chicken sandwich was was pretty fucking decent. <laughs> so this right here you're kind of looking at something that I think is it's really more of a marketing and social media kind of phenomenon, I guess. Like I okay. think for McDonald's, for McDonald's, this is probably just another, uh, 
December or just another June whenever they decide to do it. So there's a lot of like hype in the zeitgeist about it or discussion in the zeitgeist about it. And I, I think that it's worth it and stuff like that. Like mm. there might be in time, there might be something else that comes around that you could transfer that pride point onto. I, 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 if, if this conversation continues, I'll try to think of an example, but there are things <laughs> that are like, there are things that are staples to Cleveland that I have never had before. And I'm completely cool with it. You know what I'm saying? So like, mm. um, but that, that's my stance. I think you should try it. But you're also saying that I am basically signing up for a lifetime of annoying, obligatory food posts on, on social media. Well, those are your choice. You had the choice to pull that trigger. I'm just saying now, now that you've had it, you can join in the discussion. Gotcha. No, there's no going back. That's for sure. You'll have a pride still. It'll just be a trash pride. I already have a lot of those, Greg. So I don't <laughs> need. Just I mean, add I don't, to the like, pile. do you do you eat fast food? Like, like what is your regular like fast food intake? Are you like a once a month? Do you once a week? Like, what do you, what's your frequency of it? Do you That's think? a good question. I would probably say it's a once a week. Okay, and when you when you do do fast food, what do you go with? Like, do you go burgers, fried chicken, or Taco Bell? I, 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 you know what? I go, I go a little upscale when it comes to my fast food. I'm either going Wendy's, okay, or I'm going Chick Fil A. Okay. Look at fucking money Very bags good. over here. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, okay. So I would, I'd probably say that like the one thing that if, if it was going to make that big jump to get the McRib, I would just say that like. If you did like the rib patty sandwiches in school, this is something that this is something that I would try. Why? Why mm. the hell not? You know what mm. I'm saying? So it's good that you have that frequency of fast food. If you were a once a monther, I might say otherwise as far as actually getting into the car and going to do it. But since you're a once a week person and stuff like that, McDonald's fries are fantastic. Get a McRib, know what it's all about, and just and just go forward from there. You did it. Move on. Is anyone else picturing Dennis driving his Bentley to McDonald's <laughs> and like scoffing at it as he as he like orders a McRib and hands the person money like in a handkerchief so he doesn't have to touch him? <laughs> right. right. I won't even. I won't even make. Sorry, I normally go to Chick Fil A. <laughs> oh my God! You guys are open on Sundays. Freaking farm animals. <laughs> right. Dennis, Just, oh. can I'm going to be the lone dissenter here and say, okay. don't do it. You've already gone this far, and <laughs> while I, I, Chema, I enjoyed those rib patty sandwiches at Nordonia more than I enjoyed the McRib. Um, I gotcha. I gotcha. There's, you're not missing out on that much. You'll just be compromising. You'll just compromising your fucking dignity. That's mm. it. Mm. I gotcha. That's it. Okay, you, Dennis. What? Yeah. What, I don't know. How don't are you know, leading? Do how I have to leading? make a decision now? No, just how are you leading? Oh wow! You know what? I I think I'm leaning towards the idea that I'm okay without the McRib. There you go. In in, in my life. Yep. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough, man. Believe me. Like there are certain things that I have that I do the same thing with and I still am drawing a total fucking blank on it. But 
I respect that. I do the, there are things that I do that with, I respect it. Yeah. And I get what you're saying. It's, it's a, be a part of the culture, the Mc, the McRib culture and community. <laughs> Which if is that's, a bunch that's, of that's gross fat guys. <laughs> with right. Stains all over I'm, their shirts. I think I'm, uh, I think I'm good on that. <laughs> uh, Cherry. You take over yeah, the occasionalist. So, Give me something here. Yeah, yeah. So mine can definitely be a can of worms that I'm sure we could all get super deep into. It could maybe be a possible episode in the future. But maybe I'll just to... eat a can of worms instead. Yeah. Well, if you're yeah, going to do the McRib, might as well. Yeah, you might as well just put them on top. Um, no, but I think that it'd be interesting to you know kind of see like what the future of Cleveland might look like. And the reason I want to bring this up is that. I feel that we all saw a huge boom in revitalization of Cleveland when LeBron was around, when he won the championship, and things for a while, you know, you know the Cavs sucked afterwards, like, seemed to be kind of like on the up and up. Then COVID hits, brings everything down, but now the, like, I don't know, I guess like the diamond in the rough is the Browns doing well now, and people getting hyped about that, so I wonder when things open back up, if there's going to be more revitalization around the sports culture because of that, and if that in turn is going to, you know, help us be okay to get back on our feet um in relatively quick time so i'm just curious about what that looks like for cleveland knowing that we've had our ups and downs that we were doing decently well before everything shut down i don't okay. uh, i i i'll just i don't know maybe a quick thought i guess and then we'll mm-hmm. move it around the virtual table i don't know that the the brown success is going to have that big of an impact mm-hmm. uh, i mean Oh, and 16, what, four years ago? <laughs> true. People were still going it's out. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, true. I, I don't, I, right. They were I, anger, I don't know they were the, anger drinking know. before and after right. games. Right. Yeah. We're going to throw a parade for oh, and 16. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we, we were enthused to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know right. if it's going to have that much of an impact because the Browns have always been popular and it's always brought people out <clears> as <throat> shitty as we've been. I think, I think, yeah. um, I, I, Dennis, I, I tend to agree with you, but Greg, I think if we had Pat Mahomes, if we had mm-hmm. a next level generational superstar like we had with LeBron, then the story's a little bit different. That there's right. someone to plaster on every billboard, there's someone to plaster, you know, to, to have the giant witness space taken up. Um, if the Browns are good, I mean, it's great, it's better than them sucking. But without like a like a tra- like a like someone who tr- who just transcends the sport itself, then it won't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and right. also too, I mean, kind of going off of that, I mean, you know, I've, yeah, I was using sports as an example, but also too, you know, if not sports, then what would do it? Or I mean, just kind of curious yeah. of how Cleveland's going to look look in yeah. the future moving forward and. Yeah. I mean, we have a bunch of small shops, so maybe that might help out and the communities behind those. But it is just, uh, I think it's very up in the air right now and a lot of uncertainty maybe potentially in the area. But yeah. also, I haven't been there in four years, so I'm seeing things only a few times a year, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do. I'll tell you, like, you, you ask a lot of really, really great questions there. And there's a, I think that right now the city is, there's a little bit of a disconnect because for the last, you know, basically starting from, 2003 to 2018 the, the, like the lebron era even during that time when he was away in miami 
the city of Cleveland saw a lot of renewal. It did. There was a lot of new buildings being built. There was a lot of new districts and entertainment stuff, neighborhoods mm-hmm. blowing up left and right. So what I personally think, and believe me, I'm like, I'm basically getting Twitter. This is my discussions from people that I have back home. So what I could see in the city's future is this whole, basically Cleveland's moment in the sun is over with. Okay. The whole, like all the attention being drawn there, the RNC isn't there going to be there. You know, you'll get conventions that come in the town, but with the exception of the sports teams, there's really going to be nothing that makes Cleveland the national focal point of America, unless the, unless the cure for the coronavirus is developed at the Cleveland Clinic for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, unfortunately, like, it may not necessarily be like, oh, my God, this is going to be like an economic downturn. But I think you're looking at like a plateau and certain neighborhoods are always going to grow and continue to develop like Ohio City and Tremont and the West Side and all that stuff. Right. Those are going to continue mm-hmm. to grow. Younger professionals are going to continue to move there. But like the city in and out of itself, like as a whole, is going to see population decline because people are just leaving to go for better opportunities. And the one thing, and this is my own personal, like Adam Chevalewski's nerdy next level, there's something behind the curtain mind, is that when Ohio went for Obama and everything, you saw this whole like cool kind of Midwest Rush Belt chic kind of culture uh rise to prominence in american culture and stuff like that hollywood is not doing the rust belt anymore favors especially because ohio went for um went for trump and everything i just see what we would we used to see in the media of like people going in like the cool neighborhood hipster bars and these like you know smaller cities and stuff we're not going to see that perspective in entertainment anymore. It is going to shift to something else. I have no idea what it will, but, and I feel that Cleveland is going to be kind of having to stand on its own and stuff like that. And won't necessarily get some of the national and kind of recognition and kind of that cool factor that it was assigned to over the last like 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I got to disagree, Adam. Um, uh, Cleveland and, and when I say Cleveland in this instance, I'm talking like downtown, like Cleveland, Cleveland, not the greater Cleveland area, but downtown Cleveland is seeing a, a rise in population. They're getting more people to live downtown and offering more of, you know, like city in, environment where you have grocery stores. I mean, my God, there wasn't, Heinen's wasn't downtown 15 years ago. If you lived downtown, you had almost nowhere to just do basic grocery shopping. Right. There's more of those amenities that are coming. We still have big things on on the way. There's still, I mean, the NFL draft is coming this year. Hopefully that's still, you know, going to happen and, and be the plan. And there's the, uh, the attitude that people have nationally towards Cleveland, I think has shifted quite a bit because anytime I hear, you know, people in in the national media and, and you know, um, sports figures and people here that are f- for games broadcasting and doing and and spending you know a couple days here, um, they come away really impressed with Cleveland, with oh, you know yeah. the, the 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 culture, the people. I mean, I hear things constantly about how nice everyone is and how much they enjoy Cleveland, and Cleveland is not what you you know, think it is. And it's not what it was 
30 years ago, huge revitalization in, um, you know, in the flats area, most of the suburbs, of course, you know, in any city, there'll be areas that obviously struggle more than others, but, uh, uh, most of the suburbs are doing quite well. I think there's plenty of, plenty of room for, for growth. And I understand what you're saying about, you know, the, I guess, what you're calling like Hollywood's perception of Cleveland and and the fact that they're done doing, you know, favors for, for areas like ours. Ohio went for Trump twice. Cleveland and Cuyahoga County did not. That's true. So I, 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 go ahead. Yeah, no, as you're saying, that part about it, that is definitely true. So I guess when it comes down to capturing life in democratic areas, there will always be some call for that in as far as the world of like storytelling is concerned and stuff. And I guess like when it comes to this, I guess I just don't hear about anything really big coming to the city anymore. And there was this point in time where it was definitely in the last like 10 years, like the 2013 to the present, where it just seemed like every week there was some type of new construction project that was being done or, Hey, the nucleus project is back on the table and stuff. And Mm. I'm, I'm not really seeing those kinds of stories and stuff. And that's maybe why my perception of it is the way that it is. There was just this point in time where it was popping up left and right. And I, I don't see that kind of pop anymore. Yeah. There's stuff. I mean, there's, there's still a lot of projects and expansion happening with the Cleveland Metro parks. And how they're okay. trying to tie in um, uh, different areas and giving people access with footpaths and and bike trails and being able to reach places that you probably couldn't have reached, you know, in the last ten years. And a lot of stuff, a lot of those projects are still coming. They're they're scheduled to start or they've just started. So you know they're still a couple years away probably from coming to full fruition. Um, but there's housing being built all over the place. I think they should just burn it to the yeah. ground. <laughs> if you really want my opinion yeah. on this. Oh, dude. Do you I'm have kidding. a. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like I, there are certain things that, like, I'm. That, like, I guess, like, some of the housing and some of the sprawls and everything like that, and I don't have the same kind of touch with. And I, like, I, I hope that the city does does go well. Like I, I really, I'm not like wishing any ill will on Cleveland. I just, there's something, I don't know, man. Like I just, for some reason, it just feels like a lot of the momentum was gone and mm. that could just, that could just be, you know, we had, you know, it could just be like, whatever, like Le- LeBron isn't there. It could just <laughs> be like, Hey, we haven't had anything nationally. The draft is going to be one thing that, it's going to generate some buzz and a lot of business and stuff like that. Right. So I don't know. It's just like, it doesn't feel like, okay. Like in the nineties, like Cleveland was the comeback city when we had the rock hall and everything. And that ultimately turned out to not be true. Like, you know, 10 years later, the city, it was, it was, it was a mess, you know? And then it felt like the comeback city again for about five or 10 years of all this positive momentum. And then around the tail end of me being there, it just kind of seemed like, whatever 
potential they were going to need had already been met, you know, like a crazy bagel shop or whatever, wasn't going to put it over the line. Like, you know, they were, there wasn't any like real industry coming there, you know, but it may just be one of these things where if economies and everything become more internal, they won't need to have another Sherman Williams come to town or something like yeah, that. It could I was, just be the, the development of the local economy. Right. And I was actually going to mention that uh, Sherman Williams deciding to stay and keep their headquarters was obviously massive. Yeah, I remember there was a story about them and the potential for them to leave and all that stuff and, and everything. And Sherwin Williams, like that had been a that would have been bad form for them to have walked out, uh, especially with the relationship they've had with the city for as long as they have. You guys done? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm done. All right, Bigler. Oh, Bigler, he's still there. Yeah, uh, Cherry and I actually were recording our own podcast elsewhere. <laughs> I don't know if you guys realize that uh, you're just talking to each other. <laughs> it's it's called Adam and Dennis suck. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry did in fact open a can of worms. Um, yep. So let's let's move on. Chema, give me your uh, you take over here real quick. Give me your rant. Okay, so my rants, we, we touched on a lot of this stuff throughout the course of the episode, and I was going to be getting into some of the movie theater closures, which just, I know that a lot of these businesses are not like, you know, hey, shut down, everything is over. There's a lot of like things that are in limbo and furloughs and all that stuff, but that doesn't necessarily take away from the fact that these movie theaters, like other businesses in the country, are being hit and being hit hard. So my rant was going to be about like what the movie experiment experience was going to be like in the upcoming years. And like, I was just going to ask you guys questions. Like if um, like how much ticket prices are going to go up and dude out here in LA, it could be 20 bucks to go see a movie in certain theaters. And it's like, all of a sudden, is it going to all now be 25 bucks or even like paying money in Ohio? When I, I remember living there um, in 2018 and movies were like around 10, 12 bucks. If you're going during the day to going at night is, are those ticket prices going to now be $17 because they've had one year of not being able to, bring people into the theater or the cost of concessions going to go up. Like these are all things that I, you know, I think are going to factor in and um, to people's decisions about going to the movies in the future, especially if there are people that have had economic hardships. And it also raises the question of like, is there a point in time where movies just become too expensive? Like what is that dollar amount? I, I think LA is definitely hitting there when we're looking at close to 30 bucks to get into some theaters and then the last question I was going to have is um, if there are these struggles out there with the with movie theater closures, does somebody like Amazon start to get into the theater business? Do they start to offer some type of movie going experience? And hmm. while I'm still a little up in the air about that, I don't really think that it's in Amazon's best interest. But if Jeff Bezos is as you know wanting to own as much as humanly possible – why not buy a theater chain too? The guy bought Whole Foods like on a Tuesday, so why not buy a theater chain? <laughs> yeah, I I know what you're saying with that, but like the Whole Foods has a more practical purpose um, than a movie theater chain would that would serve Amazon. If you exactly. want to get same day groceries, then you need physical grocery stores to get same day groceries. Um, so that that makes sense. I don't I don't think it's judging by. I mean, if, if you don't if you have a movie theater and it's not showing movies like it is right now, it's not making any money. Um, so I can't imagine that Bezos would want to would want to get into that game necessarily. But what I what I 
what I do think is something you, you kind of missed here, but I, I, I it's related to it. Thirty dollars for a movie sounds expensive. What if it's in your own home and it's five other people with you? Yeah, believe me, that, that doesn't sound that see, bad, right? It doesn't right. sound that's that a paper, bad. At all. That's a that's paper right. you, you know. Yeah. Especially if it's something that I don't need to see. Like, again, like if it's, we're talking, Christopher Nolan has some mind bending action movie. Obviously, I want to see it in the theaters. But if we're talking some, you know, some smaller indie film that's like a, a crime drama that people love, if it's something like Uncut Gems, right? I, that's, I don't need right. to see that in theaters. That's fine. So if, if it's that great, I will pay the 20 bucks to sit in the comfort, 30 bucks to sit in the comfort of my own home and watch it. Do you yeah, think I, they would ever go and and do like a subscription thing? You know what I mean? Like they, you could buy like a package, like a monthly. They try yeah, if you do if you do this package, you you know you can get a small popcorn and a drink, and you can come you know once a week. You can see four. Oh, they, movies they tried a month to do that before. It just didn't work. They tried with the movie pass. It just didn't work. Hmm. Yeah, because there, no one's no one's going to these... see ten movies a month. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of these some of these things like you really got to like go to the theater to get your dollars worth out of it and stuff. You know, the the Cinemark one is the best deal because it's 10 bucks a month and it gets you one free movie each month. So you're basically getting a free movie every single month. Right. But the AMC, the AMC one, it's like $50 a month. And there's I mean, you get a lot of shit. You get discounts and all this stuff. But am I going to go to the movie theater like five times a month to really, really get these? It, that, that's the, you know, that's yeah. what it boils down to. Mm, I'm not. Yeah. There's probably at any given month, there's probably not five movies you really exactly. want to see that bad anyway. Yeah. There's right. Uh, every, every couple of, I and mean, we're talking every couple of years, there's a movie I even bother seeing twice in the theaters and like every five or six years. So, that yeah, those those movie passes just don't they don't mm. add up unless I mean I guess if you were like I think some of them included like like if you had a family of four it might be worth your time over like three or four visits, but like for any single like a buying a single pass to do that is just it, I always thought that was ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. No, definitely not. And we'll just assume the cherry agrees. No, um, no, I, I agree, <laughs> but no, I think that on, on the flip side i mean i think that being able to just buy a movie at home yeah would be great i also wonder though if it'd be easier than to pirate movies because you're just able to stream it directly in your own home as soon as it comes out you can just set up a quick tripod just film it right in front of your home at your tv no shaky camera in the movie theater and then you can just easily distribute that very easily out to the masses so i think it's potential for that probably won't happen as much but i do see that potentially being abused um I would say no, because we know that like when you offer, there's hard data. When you offer um, stuff on a streaming service for a few bucks, people don't pirate it. Oh no, not for a few bucks. I mean for like twenty bucks. Like there are movies that are being sold right. straight to streaming, and also Correct. for like twenty bucks. But... Correct. But are you going to go through all the trouble to get that fucking movie, or just pay twenty dollars for it? Yeah, I've done worse. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just like it's it, it's it's a lot of effort that you're you're gonna end up, so right. if you get like a pirated movie like a bootleg i i knew this kid in college who used to do that and he'd sell them for like 10 12 bucks i'm like or i could just wait and buy it on dvd for 15 in a few months <laughs> this is like this doesn't make sense this business model is stupid um because it's not a business that's why i mean it, it's 
like people were really worried about um about like Game of Thrones being being like it was at one point in time the most pirated show, but the pirated the 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 loss in pirating that show didn't even come close to making up for the didn't even, like take a dent out of the DVD sales for that for that show. Mm. So no, I agree. Pirating's well, not a deal. Pirating's just not as. I mean, is it a big deal? Okay, I guess. I don't own a studio, so I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> and do you want to pay any money for like a second rate for a second rate cut of something that you want to see, or do you want to pay for like the real thing? Mm. Yeah, good point. <laughs> see, I knew I'd get Greg to agree with me. Um, <sighs> But it's just I don't know I, I I think the pirating thing is it's so it's, it gets shoved in our face and we get the FBI warnings because obviously the studios don't want to lose any money they don't want to lose a penny if they don't have to lose it so that's all yeah it's so lucrative it's so easy to get I don't know man it's like it's kind of like one of these things that like yeah it's a problem but it's not like a super crazy big problem. Like it's, it's something that um, it's just something that I feel that like they can't really stop. And I think a lot of people are just spooked enough to about getting pirate stuff that they may just pay for it. I, I don't know, man. It, it's, it seems like it's not like the way it was in the eighties where people were, you know, passing around tapes and all that stuff. Like we've right. kind of gotten beyond that. Right. Um, you guys, I want to talk to you quickly about the rise of ambient TV and not an original phrase. I actually, I read an article that put into perfect focus, something that I've noticed in the last, like probably really like the last five years, but I'm sure it extends even farther back than that. Um, and ambient TV is, you guys know what the word ambient means, right? Just like Mm -hmm. it's in the background. It's kind of all over. Like if you're. Right. Walking through the woods, the sounds of the forest are ambient sounds. Um, yes. Apply this to television. This is television that's just there. There's It's in the background for you. It's Nothing's happening. It's the lowest of low stakes television. And mm-hmm. there is no drama. There are no surprises. What really happens from the beginning to end? Nothing. Nothing much happens. <laughs> I mean, nothing really changes. Um, and really you can kind of pinpoint it starting with it's it's really it starts in reality TV, right? And it kind of begins to morph a little bit when you get to reality competition shows. And it'll, at first, like you you think about like the early days of American Idol when someone like Simon Cowell would be like a real dick to you know to someone who he didn't like on on American Idol. But as reality competition shows shifted, and you began having like the cooking shows, uh, you know the 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 chef face offs, and you know what have you. Um, you still have the Gordon Ramseys that are in there yelling at people, and that, that's fine. But for the most part, a lot of these shows are filled with overly friendly people who are like, the, there is almost no competition. There, you even hear the hosts talk about, oh, I hate that one of you has to lose. I hate that, I, like, <laughs> this was great, this was great, this was great, and th- they were all great. If I could pick you all as winners, you would all win. Um <laughs> So like, and that's like stuff like the Great British Bake Off. There's shows like Chef's Table, Street Food, where it, it, those aren't those aren't specifically competition, but it's the same idea. We're just watching people cook food, and mm-hmm. and it's in it's stylized and it looks great. It's like some sharp angles. What what happens? Nothing. Just food gets cooked. Um, right. You have that jump to like 
you know, more recently, like the home renovation shows are are like the next kind of step with this. And you can blame Chip and Joanna Gaines for popularizing these shows <laughs> and, and, and the Property Brothers for like their 18 different spinoffs for these shows where it's just rich people have $300,000 to spend on a home renovation and then they do it. And that's it. <laughs> that's all that happens. Yeah. The house gets renovated the way they like they want it renovated. So we've had these ambient TV shows for a while where nothing happens, low stakes, no drama. The biggest surprise is maybe uh, Chip Gaines finds the wrong um, you know, type of wood and like there's a two minutes of crisis um, and that's it. But now we actually have a scripted TV show that's like that. Um, Emily in Paris. I'm sure you've heard about it on Netflix. Um, this is, I think, what's going to end up being patient zero for scripted ambient TV shows. Nothing happens in Emily in Paris. Nothing. She goes to Paris for her job. She gets on Twitter and on Instagram and talks about how great it is to be doing her job on Twitter and Instagram. And then everyone agrees with her that it's great. And that's it. <laughs> it's holy shit it's half there like relationships or there, like... oh yeah there's relationships that work out really well okay. for her like where they there's a little bit of conflict and then they decide that they're just friends and that's fine and then they take a picture and it's fine um and she posts it on instagram and it's great um this is literally tv that you can put on in the background and you don't have to fucking pay attention to um the show itself the show itself involves a lot of like her on her phone posting to instagram Kind of like as a, like a sim like a little nod to you like this part you can go ahead and do the same thing if you want don't worry about it there's nothing <laughs> happening here um, but there's gonna be I feel like there's gonna be even more shows like this um, Netflix is already full of them like I said all those re- think about all these like kind of low stakes reality cooking shows and baking shows they're already filled with them Emily in Paris it's very popular that's gonna be repeated over and over again. So we're gonna have Emily in London, Emily in Sydney, Emily, what, pick, take your pick. Um, we're gonna have more and more of it. And I'm just sort of, I mean, I guess I, you guys can weigh in on this here in a second. That sounds dull as dirt and like a waste <laughs> of your time. It just, it sounds awful. And also to cap this off, just with this Emily in Paris thing here, Netflix wants you to pronounce it Emily in Paris, like it's a French. Except for they're uh, using the English Emily and not the French Emily, so right. I call it Emilis in Paris. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. Not. I'm sorry. I'm not doing that. So just. Yeah. That's this, just. Uh, go ahead. You guys go ahead and weigh in on this. Uh, Chema, I want to hear from Chema first, actually, on this one. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So, as far as like entertainment value goes, that sounds like an absolute pile of crap dude like i I see no reason to even make those kinds of stories like you could you could have podcasts for that you could have music for the ambient thing the the concept of television and everything is to tell a story no matter how bad i might find the story to be like or it may not be a story that's appealing to me at least some most tv shows tell stories and everything these these cooking shows it's a whole other, I mean, that is just the way these competition shows are and everything like that. So like, I, I think that the cooking shows, they, sometimes I at least watch those stupid things because it's people making food, but there's no reason for me to watch a show that has no conflict whatsoever. And in a way it is just kind of a reflection of, of certain audiences like micro audiences between in the grand audience when we refer to audiences and everything that it is just like 
I don't know, man. Like there's, this is like ASMR, but for TV and stuff like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. I can't believe that something like this actually <laughs> exists. And, and the crazy thing is, is that there's enough people out there that like either don't watch TV, maybe the way that we all do, or maybe don't watch television to be entertained where this could end up becoming like a serious thing. And what's going to be even worse is that if this becomes a real like serious thing where like more and more shows become like this, they're going to have to start catering actual shows to embrace this audience to a certain degree. Like, it's not going to be like, you know, Oh my God, they're rewriting 24 for a, uh, for a drama less audience, but there's going to have Bauer <laughs> just lets a bomb go off. <laughs> right. Oh, actually take that back. Guy... He wouldn't even, that wouldn't even happen, but yeah. <laughs> just sits and right. does clerical work. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So like the, um, the, so if this becomes a major thing, it is going to seep its way into other shows. And like, there might be decisions that are made where it's like, Hey, you guys should pull out this, um, this whole storyline and this whole conflict. And then a show loses something that normally would make it really good. Denny, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, just no, no, (laughs) no, 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 thank you. Not for me because at least when, you know, you watch a, you know, like a, a a home makeover show or a home renovation show or or a cooking competition or a cooking show. At least there is something. There is an unfinished product in the beginning, and by the time the show's done, it's a finished product. So you start somewhere and end somewhere. And at least in those shows, I, there's a benefit to sure. me, the, to to the audience, I can at least learn something. I can learn a new cooking technique or a, a recipe or pairing something together. Or I can, you know, watch a home get renovated and go, huh, herringbone backsplash. Yeah, that looks pretty <laughs> good. If I if I ever get the chance, I'm I'm going herringbone. Yeah, good call. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Or learn yeah, something about yeah. ductwork right. in your basement or like I don't know. You could benefit. So, no, I'm not watching someone just live a life and have nice friendships and post on Instagram. Dennis is not in for Emily's in Paris. Um, I'm probably going to have to at least watch one episode just to have a better perspective. Yeah, it, it's dude, it, it sucks. Um, it is. It is the exact opposite. It is. If there was literally an inverse to like the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. It's Emily's in Paris. <laughs> Cherry, do you have any yeah, thoughts on uh, on ambient TV? Yeah, so I won't watch the Emily's in Paris, but I will watch shows like Hoarders, where the same episodes, the same synopsis. You go to someone's house, they collected too much junk. It's gross. You clean it. <laughs> they condemn the house anyways. But <laughs> it's that kind of TV though that makes you just kind of look at your own life, and you're like, you know what? I'm okay. And <laughs> I think that ambient TV is fine because it's just, you know, sometimes we just need those little uplifters, uh, you know, try to pull some good out of our lives, you know, and put it into the open and, uh, you know, be appreciative of it. Um, and then also just ignore everything else that's going bad. <laughs> I, I do wonder, that's a really good point there real quickly. I just do wonder if, if it wasn't for the pandemic, if anyone would have watched this show 
Or if mm-hmm. it, maybe people would have watched it. If it would have been considered a hit the way that Netflix is considering it a hit if there was no pandemic. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not, dude. The pandemic creates shows or the exemplifies shows like that. The pandemic gets the gives those shows the opportunity to get an audience. Uh, let's see. Uh, we're going to go on to a quick part here. Old is new again and new to me. This is where we talk about our favorite rewatch of 2020. Could be a movie, could be a, sh- could be a movie, but a movie or show, something that you've seen before and you just, you got back into it this year. And then, uh, new to me, something you discovered this year, even though it isn't new, it could, that could be anything entertainment related, TV show, movie, song, album, book, whatever. Uh, let's start with Cherry. Uh, let's, let's start with old is new again. Am I doing? Am I doing both at the same time, or just, just one, one by one? Okay, just one. <laughs> double checking. <laughs> we present them, you put them together. But um, yeah, so old is new again. Um, I've been just kind of rewatching a lot of stand-up specials on stand Netflix, uh, like Tom Segura's stand-up specials, and also Nate Bragatsky's. I always keep fucking his last name, but I don't know, man. It just just uh, gives me a taste of comedy again, and you know what it feels like to hear an audience laugh. Um, but it's just fun to watch over and over again, especially when you do appreciate their craft. I gotcha. I gotcha. And if anyone out there is wondering, Greg likes stand-up comedy. <laughs> right. <laughs> In case you didn't get that. Uh, Dennis, how about you? Something that old is new again for you this year. Yeah, I went back and rewatched Mindhunter on Netflix. Nice. Yeah, I'm such a fan of that show. And it was pretty devastating to hear David Fincher say that a season three is just not going to happen Mm. that was Mm -hmm. super disappointing um although david fincher then comes and gives us mank on on netflix so uh, i guess i guess mindhunter is very expensive that's what he said yeah um which i i get it I, i mean you're trying to basically tell you know or or dramatizing you know true uh, true crimes. So if you're going to try to be authentic and um, <laughs> David Fincher does not seem like the kind of guy who will try to um, take a, like a studio lot and, and try to make you believe that it's Atlanta. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if he's, if he's going to film in Atlanta, you know, it, then he's going there. So yeah, I'm sure it, it, it was probably very time consuming and difficult it just sucks when you know that a, a show is of obvious quality and then, you know, a, a studio or a streaming service goes, yeah, but nobody's really watching it. Our so... algorithms say this, so we're going to pull it. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. We got we got yeah. we, to <laughs> We have to make room for... MLS and Sydney. Uh, yeah, exactly. MLS and Tokyo. Another, another season of right. British British baking. Right. Uh, people making macaroons. <laughs> Chema, how about how about you? Dude, I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood eight times this year. Nice. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm now in double digits as far as watching that movie goes. And I have this tendency of like really diving into the Tarantino movies once I get them on DVD as I, I got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like or like basically around December last year. And um, 
I'm finally starting to understand the big, like why everybody thinks this movie is so genius. And I got to tell you, like, I, I feel it's a lot of the world building and Tarantino's idea of Hollywood. Like DiCaprio's great in it. Brad Pitt is also really good in it. I don't necessarily think he's the best supporting actor award good in it, but I mean, Brad Pitt is still enjoyable. Um, Al Pacino's uh, cameo in the beginning is fantastic. The way that they do the retelling of the Manson murders is, is really good, but there's just, it just feels like such a different Tarantino movie because it is such a different Tarantino movie that I guess like in the beginning, it took a while for me to kind of get used to it and stuff. I was like, Oh God, nobody got blown away. And we're like two hours into this movie. I don't even think there's been any guns fired. And um, (laughs) so, so, um, it took a while for me to kind of like, okay, this is what the new Tarantino movie is. Now let's sit down and let's start to pick this apart and start to kind of appreciate it and stuff. And it wasn't like, I didn't like it in the beginning. I saw it twice in the theaters. I enjoyed it both times. The second time was a little bit more enjoyable. And I think the movie has just gotten more and more enjoyable as I, um, as I continue to watch it. No, no disagreements there. No disagreements there. Um, Chema, I've, this is pertains to you in particular, but, um, I've, I've watched, rewatched the entire three seasons of the leftovers. Um, it's for when we're going to do our little off podcast here in the future. Um, mm, yep. and boy, I forgot how to see, to see sort of Damon Lindelof's like first project post lost. That is once we get past the first season, seeing all of the things that he seeing all of the things that make a Lindelof story, a Lindelof story really come to life Mm -hmm. in the seasons two and three and how that is, it's criminally underrated and has some of the singular best episodes of television that have ever been made. And I will Mm -hmm. fight people and argue that all day long and with a lot of evidence on my side that it's it's one of the best stories ever told. I need to go back because I'm a huge fan of of the show, but at some point when season three came out, I, I kind of lost the momentum. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like like in watching it, and so there are entire episodes in in season three that I'm like are just like it's just like I blacked out. Yeah, like they're just black. They're just blacked out for me. So I have to go back. And there's no way I can just start at season three. Nope. I got to do the full run. Yeah, absolutely. It's worth it. It's a, it's a, it was a worthwhile rewatch for me. I loved it so mm-hmm. much. Yeah. I rewatched it too in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, this rewatch, you're right, illustrated a lot of, a lot of things as to why Damon Lindelof is the man and why there are moments of this show that, um, you know, when you say best episodes on in television history, there are certain things I will definitely I'll back that up and I'll take it even further to say that there are just even these little moments of the show that are just defining for HBO. They're mm-hmm. defining for Lindelof's career. They're defining moments of television and they're all just so simple, but yet so brilliantly beautiful, like all at the same time. It's a, it's a whole other level of television and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, Denny, I got to you already, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jeez. God. Sorry. I I usually like mark stuff off as I'm going. I didn't this time. Um. Let's go back. Go right back around the circle. Uh. Cherry. Something you discovered this year, even though it isn't new. Yeah. So I was a little behind on this, but um. Letter Kenny. So I 
blasted through that game in like in like in like a matter of six days. Honestly, fucking embarrassing. Tore through it, and it was one of the best decisions of my life. And I was so sad when I hit the end. You ever new ever have a girl go go back and play play with your 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 butts holes? The the best, my favorite. Like if I were to introduce people to Letterkenny. I wouldn't even start at the beginning. I would start with one of two holiday episodes, either the Valentine's Day episode or the Christmas episode would be the episodes that I show people first for like, if you, if you want a weird quirky Canadian comedy that I think you'll like watch one of these two episodes. That's like my introduction. <laughs> no thoughts on that, Cherry? Just you're, you're good. With oh that? no, that's it. That's it on that. Yeah, I'm good. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, Denny. Same question to you, obviously. Guys, I have to go back and continue to emphasize the thoroughly enjoyable marble racing that occurs (laughs) on YouTube. Okay? You don't understand. I'm telling you, you watch, watch any Marble Olympics. (laughs) <laughs> there's summer and there's winter. Um, sure it's is. your preference. Whatever you enjoy. You enjoy a little bobsled? You're taken care of. You enjoy, uh, you know, 100-meter hurdles? Got that, too. I'm telling you. You will find yourself two and a half hours later going, what the hell just happened? <laughs> I look Jeez forward to it. Dude. I've seen the yes. videos. I will lose two <laughs> hours to that, yes. I'm telling you. It's oh, my God. Somehow compelling itself. <laughs> oh my god. Chema, save me uh, for this. Okay, uh, Kid Cuddy. I'm not going to lie. I've never done a, a deep dive into Kid Cuddy, and I've done a hardcore dive into Cuddy over the course of the. Ever since we did the remix episode, that was mm-hmm. kind of the thing that inspired me to do it. And uh, yeah, I have been missing out. Like, the stuff, the earlier stuff is absolutely amazing. And um, I cannot believe that even being from Cleveland, that this is one thing I had a, some slight social blinders to. I got you. Yeah, it's uh, oh, Cuddy, man. I, I, the, the remix episode brings brings back a lot of memories. And boy, would it be fam- it would be very interesting if Kid Cuddy was the mega famous one and, and Kanye was not. Very interesting. <laughs> I know. I, I know. Ch- Chema, I will um, throw this out there. I don't know if you've ever seen. Um, the, this video of Kid Cudi. I mean, there's a bunch of them. Like, he's got old freestyle stuff from like years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Um, uh-huh. There, there's a particular one that I think is from about, I don't know, again, like 12, 13 years ago, probably, that always stuck with me. Yeah. It's he is hanging out with uh, the producer 88 Keys. And, okay. 88, and 88 Keys is playing him like uh, a track that he had put together to see what he thought about it. And mm-hmm. Cuddy just goes off and writes, like, just basically freestyles a hook and, and like, a verse or two. But it's, it's, it, it's not, like, it's not really a freestyle rap because he's actually kind of singing the hook. And yeah. I, it's fantastic. Yeah, 88 Keys, I'm going to write that down. Yeah. And, and, again, that's like 12, 13 years ago, so he's pretty young at that time still. 
Yeah, it's nuts that I, I'm going to definitely check that, check out that video. And I do, I can't believe that it's something that I've just never been like, okay, yeah, I, he's from Cleveland. He's from like, you know, five miles away. Let's finally do this. And it took moving to LA to, in a remix episode to finally do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's uh, another one too, that just popped into my head real quick. Um, uh, with the LA leakers from, okay. from years ago where he just like jumped in and did a quick freestyle with them. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'll check that stuff out for sure. Good choice. Good choices. Good suggestions, Dennis. Um, I went with a, a couple of TV shows, um, a little daily double here, because they were they started about basically the same year, and I think one of them one of them ended like a year after um, the other one, but I think it was like kind of saved off the scrap heap for like a like a like a real short like six episode six episode season, and I'm talking about these two comedy central comedies, Detroiters and Corporate. Um, Detroiters is a fucking delight. It's <laughs> very irreverent comedy, kind of absurdist. Um, your mileage will vary with Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson used to write on SNL. Um, he has yep. a, he has a show on Netflix called uh, I think I think I should leave with yeah, Tim Robinson. So good, it's funny. It, but there are and Dennis, you can back me up on this. There are skits that are like, all right, Tim, stop screaming. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little much. Right. It's a little much. So your mileage will vary with Tim Robinson, but Sam Richardson off Detroiters is a fucking delight. Um, he's been in Veep. He's been in um, Curb. Um, he's in. I th- think he's in that new Netflix movie that one with um, with what's her face. Um, it's called Super Intelligence. Who the fuck am I thinking of? C- comedian, chubby, uh, little short woman. Uh, Melissa McCarthy. Oh, Melissa Wilson. McCarthy. Thank you. Yeah, Melissa McCarthy. Um, he's in that he's a fucking delight like literally every episode he gets a chance to do like like this like surprised face and it's hysterical it's like a it's like a it's in a in a good way it's like a bill cosby-esque face um not yeah. a rape face um but just a, a very comedic face he's what fantastic is, what, what is a rape face bill cosby's weird rape face trust me i can like? i can only when bill cosby does like this weird kind of eye rolling thing now uh, i just imagine that yeah. that's what he did to like all of his victims okay i'm, I'm with you now <laughs> and corporate it's a since we all kind of work in corporate environments there's <laughs> there's a lot of stuff here that just resonates um, about like corporate corporate culture, and yeah, now like corporate is really good. Yeah, it's really funny how you have just layers and layers of incompetence in any corporation, and um, it's it's very very funny. But one of the like best surprises is the uh, the always intimidating Lance Reddick playing uh, yeah. an absurd like over the top black comedy boss. Mm-hmm. Like he is fucking hysterical. The the episode where they have like Scooby Doo adventures in the office, I like literally it, it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen because uh, Lance Reddick is running around in a tank top with a sword and in his underwear the entire episode, and they're making like giant Scooby Doo sandwiches, and he says things without like a without a hint of irony, like he's dead serious when he delivers some of his lines, and it's fucking hysterical. The show's great. <laughs> Okay, maybe it's not that great. I apologize. No, I'll definitely have to check that out too, dude. I love. I've seen a little bit of Detroiters. I thought Detroit Detroiters is great. It's one of these shows that 
actually, no joke, and I, I guarantee it's the tagline. It really does kind of humorously capture the essence of Detroit and life in the Rust Belt and everything. And um, Corporate is a show I I believe you have mentioned before and stuff like that. And um, that That's is good. another one that uh, that is, would be one that I would look forward to. Worth it, worth it, your it time. Available. Yeah, worth your worth your time if you're just like I, I basically just dialed them up because like I sometimes need stuff in the background while I'm working. Yeah. So perfect for that. No, All definitely. Right. Let's move on here. Just the rapid fire stuff. Um, other stuff from 2020. Greg Cherry, a cool fact you learned this year. Dude, honestly, I was thinking about this one and I couldn't think of anything. All <laughs> right, Greg Cherry learned nothing this year. Dennis, cool <laughs> fact from you, that you learned this year. Good thing when it stood out. <laughs> I'm sure I learned things, but not one has stood out to me, so I don't know. I, le- I learned that Greg learned nothing. <laughs> there you go. Um, so. No, I so I I kind of get into um, uh, well, I love to golf. Yeah. So I kind of get into you know different golf videos. Um, so I actually I there's a guy his name's Rick Shields. Uh, he's actually a, a PGA professional instructor. Uh, he's also British. Um, and he played a round of golf with an entire bag of illegal clubs, including a club that is basically just a gun where you just set this thing up next to a ball. You push a button and it like just shoots a piston and just launches a freaking golf ball <laughs> like, 200, like 200 yards. You don't have to do anything. It's incredible. Uh, I like, I, I like I, it. I, I, yeah, I learned uh, that that exists. Um, picked up some techniques, and hopefully in 2021, you'll see me at Augusta, boys. You gonna uh, buy, you're going to buy I tickets? I don't know. Uh, yes, because I okay. don't know how I would qualify in three months. <laughs> I don't think that's possible. I don't. I don't think it is either. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll fill in here real quick. Um, I learned about this color called Egyptian blue, um, and it's something they use for fingerprinting. Uh, you know, crime scene stuff. And it's called Egyptian blue because it was literally the same formula that the Egypt, ancient Egyptians used to color things on like their tombs, sarcophaguses, pyra- you know, <laughs> all their artwork. Because that color blue sticks on like five thousand years later, you could go to an ancient Egyptian sarcophagus and the color blue is still on it from the original paintings. It is <laughs> so tacky and like one of the most unique formulas for a color that it's it has like unique properties that other colors don't have. It actually emits UV UV light, so this same color and the same chemical compound can be used in MRI machines. Um, and they think the same the same chemical compounds could be used to help uh, like future homes be like you could like essentially weatherproof the roofs and the sides of homes. So like they <laughs> so they don't let in heat and or let out you know let out the right amount of cold or whatever. And the Egyptians oh, thought no about it five thousand years ago. Okay. Go fucking figure. Yeah. Ancient Egypt solving the climate crisis. There you go. <laughs> right? Chema, how about you? A little cool fact you learned this year. Uh, okay, so um, either the following people still live or have lived in my neighborhood. Bruce Campbell, Tara Reid, Sam Elliott, uh, and Roseanne. And also um, <laughs> in, in the uh, Kanye West mom lived in my neighborhood before she passed away. And, and after. Right, yeah, and after. <laughs> oh, yeah. Don does haunting you. 
<laughs> and um, at one point in time in the 1920s, about a mile or so down the road, there's this neighborhood that doesn't exist anymore that used to be called Surferidge. And at one point in time, Cecil B. DeMille and Mel Blanc owned houses there. So I <laughs> lived or currently lived within a three mile radius of the people I just named. That's awesome. I just want I just want to imagine all of those people living there currently together. Yes. Yeah. Right. Same apartment. Bruce Campbell right. and Roseanne. They're, defi- yeah, they're definitely houses here that could fit all those people. So yeah, that, that would be an interesting little reality show for VH1 for sure. Uh, Chema, let's, let's that pivot. still exists. That's still, yeah. Chema, let's pivot I real, so. real quick. I guess I just learned something else in 2020. There you go. <laughs> Chema, pivot me real quick. Social media find. It doesn't have to be like a single post. Just social media find this year. Okay, like because political, uh, the political landscape in America has basically turned online headlines into parody. Some of these actual parody accounts have had to work really, really hard, I think, to come up with good stuff. And I'm not going to lie, dude, I don't read the articles. I just take a look at the headline and, you know, get a quick laugh and move on. So there was this social media post from the Babylon Bee that came out a couple weeks ago, and I thought this was absolutely genius. And it said, uh, in order to get Christian women to take the coronavirus vaccine, it'll now be distributed as a pyramid scheme. And they had this woman like in front of all her other Christian women friends holding a box that said Vac Life on it, and I thought it was absolutely <laughs> genius. And it was, and it's just such a statement about so many things, and it's this one area of pop culture that I don't mind getting taking a couple hits from the internet is the idea of like the social media mom and stuff. And like, I know that there's a market for it and believe me, I know raising children is very, very difficult, but for some reason, people that seem to take a social media platform into mommying is just something that I think is ripe for the internet to have a field Mm -hmm. day with. And um, I could see this in my mind where it's like, Hey, Emily's got this new product. It's called back life. And we're all, we you know, we're not necessarily for vaccinating our kids, but we want them to go back to school. Like it's some stupid little party. And I loved that social media post. I gotcha. Cherry best social media find this year. Yeah, so I got put into a group called Australian Flat Earth Society uh, on Facebook, <laughs> and it's started by comedians in Denver. It has about 2,000 members now, people just from most, a lot of Colorado, but all around the country. Um, it's really just a place where people just post just, just really dumb and silly memes, like not really political ones, but just, just really silly ones, right? Um, but then over time, we're getting to a point now where people do join thinking it's an actual flat earth society, like group, um, for them to be a part of. And, uh, so that's been interesting. Um, and then also we've had media and news outlets reach out to the admins and ask to interview them about, you know, the Australian flat earthers, um, because they clearly aren't looking at the actual group. They just look at the name. Right. right. So (laughs) (laughs) it's fun. You'll also join them. We'll invite you. It's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty dumb, but (laughs) The last time I got invited to a a, a, a Facebook group, Poprick invited me, and because it was he's like, oh, you got to check out all these like he he thought they were like edgy kind of memes, and there's a couple of them in there, but it's mostly women posting pictures like women that he knew posting pictures of like dudes in Wrangler jeans, and I was like, I'm like, why did I get invited into this group again? I'm I'm gonna go ahead and take my leave. That's about right. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, social media find this year. Oh, man. Sarah Cooper was an absolute revelation this year. Um, Also, the living legend, uh, Leslie Jordan. 
Leslie Jordan on Instagram has been fantastic. All right. Very interesting. Very yeah. interesting. Um, you guys, if you're really interested, like I am for some fucking reason, and people who uh, have been in terrible accidents, I recommend Medicalpedia. Um, because it's, it's very, very graphic stuff, but it also like exalts like the power of like modern medicine. The um, one I'm thinking about a post in particular, this fucking blows my mind. This dude was in a car accident, got like hit like head on by another car, wasn't wearing a seatbelt. His face went right into the steering wheel and the steering wheel essentially knocked out his, both of his eyeballs, nose and the top part of his jaw. And he survived. Um, and there's a picture of him with basically being, like, I guess intubated, like, through the opening in his face, uh, where his face was. I mean, it's just gone. And in, like, there's a series of pictures that follow it, and it's just plastic surgeons rebuilding his face. And, like, by, the, like, the last surgery, doesn't have eyes, obviously. I mean, they're, they're even if he, like, they could put him in, I'm sure the ocular nerves were so damaged they wouldn't work. Mm. This dude has a face, again, that looks like his own face. And it's just fucking incredible that there are people that can do that. That can take yeah. something that literally isn't there, is missing bone, and go, don't worry, we got this. We'll rebuild your face for you. So at least you look normal. Yeah. Rebuild your I, face. I know, man. It's crazy. And just to, like, just to think that you know, 50 years ago, which isn't that much time, that wasn't even possible. No. He would have he would have died a very painful death, uh, just bleeding out mm-hmm. like that. Um, right. Anyway. Um, uh, Cherry, how about a podcast we should all try out? Um, yeah, so if you're into gaming, I know I've been a lot during all of this, um, especially, you know, working from home and just going immediately to my PlayStation. Right. Um, but ki- kind of funny, Games Daily, they covered daily game, um, game news, uh, on the regular, so that's where I get a lot of my insights, so like, you know, all the new stuff that's coming out, controversies, things like that, that wouldn't know existed otherwise. And then also have a weekly podcast called Kind of Funny Gamescast, so... I'm um, just really neat podcast to keep up on the gaming world and whatnot, and then also learn about all the behind the scenes things you don't actually see as a consumer on the day to day. I cool. will probably end up checking that out. I need to I need to find more stuff to listen to while I work. Um, Chema, let's pivot to you, man. Podcast we should all try out. Well, I if you like Pearl Jam, there is a podcast called the Live on Four Legs podcast, and it's these um it's two hosts, and they kind of um, rotate. Uh, people like every couple episodes and two dudes often with a guest and they just sit around and break down Pearl Jam set lists of various concerts and if you're a music nerd like me it's pretty awesome to listen to just the way that these set lists are constructed and kind of like how certain songs end up in certain places and they've also done reviews of two shows that I went to which is seeing Pearl Jam in Buffalo in 2013 and at Wrigley Field in 2016. And the 2016 Wrigley Field show is, uh, by these guys, um, considered to be one of the like better, like upper-tier Pearl Jam mm-hmm. concerts. So I'm very happy that uh, in my Pearl Jam fandom, it has led me to a show that is so uh, so hailed in the, the fan community. So live on Four Legs podcast. Dennis, how about you, man? Dude, I've been really off uh, my my podcast game. That's actually one thing I really um, didn't 
didn't stay with this year for some reason. I don't, I don't really know why. You're real busy. I, think I, I just, I think I just found myself real. This guy's swamped. Um, I think I just found myself listening to a, just a ton of music. There's mm. a lot of music that I kind of discovered this year. Um, I got you. So that's that's, yeah. So that's yeah. So yeah, what Dennis is really saying is the occasional. That's been my listening pleasure. Yes. There you go. Perfect plug. No, I got you. That's that's cool. Um, I I'm not sure. I feel like I've mentioned this before, but in a different context. But I got back into it this year. Um, and if you're interested in a fictional podcast that is set up like a community news bulletin that also is about uh, cosmic horror, interdimensional demons, and ghosts and things, then I think Welcome to Night Vale is the uh, is the podcast for you. It's it is the one of the kookiest little podcasts you'll ever hear. It is set up like a like a community news bulletin, like in about a half hour. Um, the the I can't remember what they call them. The controller, I think, sets out like the daily goings on of this fictional city, in New Mexico, where all sorts of weird things happen: uh, interdimensional rains and beings, um, aliens, uh, ghosts, and things that come visit, inanimate objects that talk and cause hallucinations. It's very bizarre and it's very very fun in the weirdest of weird ways. Uh, I highly recommend Welcome to Night Vale. Very nice. I like that it's a like scripted kind of fiction podcast kind of concept, which uh, I know that there are more of. There are a uh, lot of them now, yeah. Everything. Mm. Um, I'm going to go right here real quick. Uh, the weirdest dream I had, and this is, the, this is the synopsis real quick. I encountered a demon taking on the physical body of a person who is wearing way too much makeup. And then in front of me and what I'll presume is my daughter, he used this giant fucking blade to cut the head off of a cow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Whoa. There you go. Yeah. Was, that this was, at, was this pre was that, or post election? This was, was like pre or post election. This was like a couple of weeks ago. So post. Oh my God. You couldn't have okay. gone last. Pagel. <laughs> It was in the way it cut the head off. It was slow as fuck, and it was very bizarre. <laughs> Jesus, you're the worst opener. Hey, well, you know someone's got to try. <laughs> someone's got to try to take your spot as a bad opener. That's all right. Anyway, Cherry, you're next. Um, yeah. So I couldn't necessarily pinpoint one specific one, but I have been having like a series of really weird, like superhero esque shooter dreams, like <laughs> where I play like Death Stranding or something like that, or play like some kind of like superhero game or what have you, and then I would then continue like the game aspects in my like dreams, and I just have super shooting abilities and all these powers, and it was really weird. <laughs> it's happened a lot. At least no one cut a cow's head off in front of you <laughs> true true mine are a little more fun <laughs> i don't think i would call death stranding fun but okay creative creative yeah <laughs> uh dennis how about you man so the dream itself um wasn't wasn't that odd or strange but the the situation around it that i'll quickly describe was was the part that was quite weird i thought um it was it was a dream where I was helping uh, a, f- a friend of mine move into uh, a house, move into a new house. That's pretty much the majority of the dream. The weird thing is 
at, at some point when I was sleeping, I had, my phone was, was next to me on my bed. So in the middle of the night as I'm sleeping, that same friend had sent me a message just to say what's up, just to check in, see how things were, you know, going. Ooh. This was back in like April, I think it was, um, you know, with coronavirus and all that stuff. And that was really weird. And then Dennis never that got if back there to was, if there if there <laughs> if there was some sort of like weird connection with that message, you know, literally laying next to me with with you know, without my knowledge and then having a dream with that same person. That is a little creepy. That is that yeah. is very interesting. That's a very creepy dream. Um, yeah, definitely. Oh, man. Anyway, Dennis and I probably need to see therapists at some point in time. Um, <laughs> Chama, how about you, man? Wrap us up here. Okay, so, like, really quickly, in my 36 years of dreaming or whatever, how old I am, um, I am now starting to finally have the where I am naked and no one else's dreams never <laughs> happened before until 2020. <laughs> and it's not to, it's not to say that what you're you know, what you guys aren't imagining right now is, is not a beautiful sight because it is. But it's just, you know, it's <laughs> my it's it's my naked self, like in just at work in the bar or something. Everybody else seems to be cool with it, but I am naked. And I'm telling you, I've never had these dreams before. No fucking clue what the hell it would prompt that, especially in this time period. But I'm finally now having the, one of the many, like, you know, stereotypical, like everybody has them kind of dreams. That's really weird. I wonder yeah. if there is, Oh God, now we're going to psychoanalyze this. Um, if there is some sort of like subconscious connection between having to wear a mask all the time and that extra covering with the that idea be. that in your dream you're shedding like everything that could that could be it like there's some kind of like thing about vulnerability when I've like just basically researched what this dream meant a couple days ago and stuff. And I guess, like, in many ways, we're all more vulnerable than we were, like, a, a year ago I, in some way, shape, or form. I think this pandemic definitely opened up a door of vulnerability amongst uh, society. <laughs> and, yeah, I like, it's weird. I just, like, I, I have to, like, look at it and examine this further because, honestly, uh, nobody has asked me what's the weirdest dream you've had with the exception of the outline that we got. So I haven't had much time to think about it. But... I've noticed it. Yeah, the naked Adam dreams are uh, finally happening. <laughs> finally, finally, it's a rite of, finally. It's a rite of passage. Right I know. Passage in a young man's life. Oh, yeah, man. DUIs and naked man dreams. <laughs> All right. Well, that is it. Um, that's it for part one. We're going to start recording part two here in a second. Um, yep. We literally cover everything that happened in the history of the world the last year. <laughs> yep. Let's start January 1st, 2020. That's right. Uh, here's what happened yeah, in minute good. one. And in case you guys okay. were wondering, in case you guys were wondering, Brunei is in Borneo. It's a little country yeah. that sits on the island of Borneo out oh, in the, uh, out in the, um, the, what is it? The Indonesian archipelago. Um, in mm. case you're wondering. Anyway, uh, you guys, thanks for doing this. I know this was a long night um, slash morning. Um, I'm going to go straight to bed because I'm exhausted. But, oh, yeah. uh, this is a lot of fun, and it was definitely like a. I, 
we definitely benefited from having all of you guys here for this because like there's so much that just there's so much that just didn't happen that we would normally cover and it's much more interesting mm-hmm. to talk to you guys and get some of like your insight into your personal lives mm-hmm. and how things and how things shook out for you in this past year in this difficult times as uh, yeah. as, as everyone says and and it's only right that this this entire year has just felt like it has been dragging on Yep, that this podcast about this year yeah. would do the same. This is going to be exactly. legitimately our <laughs> my first four part episode. So, um, Ooh. Um, just because it breaks down nice and evenly that way. Although, if, just to for you know clarity's sake, Greg's in three of the four parts. Um, yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> <laughs> special appearance. But, <laughs> fucking embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I appreciate it, guys. Hey, I, I really go, do. You fucking kicker. <laughs> I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. Um, hopefully, we can do some yeah. uh, we can do some stuff that's much shorter in the in the near future. Um, but that is it, uh, Chema. I'll have you lead us out of here. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for tuning into our best of 2020 marathon here on the Occasionalist Podcast. Adam Chemaluski, Matthew Pagel, Greg Cherry, and Dennis Kiesla. Is that how it is? No. <laughs> no, it's Casella. You know what? From the top, we got to do this whole episode again. That's it. Yep. Rewind yep. it. Uh, okay. Yep. Yep. What if, I, what if I told you guys right. that I forgot to record a part? <laughs> <laughs> this oh, would man. be the last time we had spoken. <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> Everybody have a happy uh, holidays and we will see you in 2021.